Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I'm a fan of classic movies. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of audio commentaries dedicated to discuss cinema that fascinates us in a way we hope fascinates you. We're your co-hosts, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. And here we are, episode eight. Um, yep. This Again, I, I keep saying this over and over at the beginning, but this podcast is already flying by fairly quickly. Yep. Um, so, we're going a very much a different route <laughs> than, than, 16 uh, candles. than what we took with 16 yeah. Candles last week. Um, and, you know, while the I think that movie stirs a lot of feelings and yeah. Uh, opinions on our part and certain passions of sorts. This movie is going to be more immediate, I think, to yeah. our wheelhouse and our yeah. interests. Um, from 1966, Seconds, directed by John Frankenheimer, who, as we'll talk about here in a moment, I think Frankenheimer is one of the most interesting, idiosyncratic, popular the directors of American yeah. cinema in the mm-hmm. 60s. And really, through his career, represents a little bit of a way station between the way things were and the, where the right. direction of cinema is going to be going in the next so many years so um real quickly if you'll just run through some of the details yes um so seconds uh was released in 1966 um and it is uh an american science fiction drama film uh i think it's safe to say we could kind of add horror on that too although it's not a traditional horror film yeah um but as i said last week um when we were kind of prefacing it, that we did that kind of write up about five years ago, yeah, about uh, for Halloween for different blogs that we had, along with Philip Bryant, if you're listening, um, who did that as well, and we kind of picked movies we thought were the scariest non-horror movie ever made, and this was my pick for that. Um, do you remember offhand what mine was? I don't even know I, I remember. Don't I can look this up? Uh, or I'll do it. I'll do it while you're go ahead. Yeah, but um, so yeah, it, it kind of is a horror film. I'd also be interested to see what Philip said for that too, because I don't recall. Um, but it is kind of a horror film in a way too. Um, but like I says, like Kyle says, directed by John Frankenheimer, and we'll be talking about him a lot later. Um, but it stars um, a couple different people uh, that uh, are very memorable in a lot of ways, especially in '60s cinema. Um. Rock Hudson. Um, what's there to say about Rock Hudson? Of course, I mean... Uh, I mean, he was one of the, you know, uh, prototypical stars of the 50s and 60s. And I think years after the fact, especially after his unfortunate AIDS diagnosis in yeah. the early 80s, mid-80s, and he eventually died from that. Um, and that was a shock for a lot of Americans didn't know that he was gay for uh-huh, one thing, closeted right. for so much of his life. Um, 
But, you know, him and Giant and him and uh, some of those Doris Day movies he did, he really represented kind of just classic, traditional American man in movies. In a way um, that Lancaster and even Kirk Douglas uh, yeah. would have at the yeah. time. And um, so, like, kind of casting him at the forefront of this movie is very immediately, I think is very great casting and a great performance yeah. by Hudson. I can't, and um, I, I haven't, I'll admit, I haven't seen a lot of Rock Hudson films, um, but one... The, but this always has stuck with me as a really impressive performance. Um, and I don't want to read too much into this kind of idea of this being, you know, um, almost uh, a kind of written between the lines about him being gay. You know, I don't want to, I don't think that ha- is really in the movie at all. But it is an interesting um, thought, I think, to kind of look at this movie in that way. Um, about a man who isn't comfortable in his own skin yeah, and, and trying I, to change himself. I know there are, there's things, a lot. You know? There's some literature out there that reinterprets a lot of Hudson's filmography right. through the lens of yeah. queerness. Um, I I'd actually be very interested in yeah, reading that. Yeah, I find uh, it and interesting. I, I've, but, I've not personally yeah. read it a lot. I'm yeah. sure this movie is going to be a huge certain, uh, yeah. artifact um, with regards to right. that. Real quickly, but, just yeah. I'll interrupt. Uh, mine was a serious man. Uh, okay, and Phillips was quote. Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah, yeah. No, those are all good. Anyways, those so, are all good. Just picks to interrupt for that. Kind of scary stuff going on. But yeah, I mean, Rock cuts and uh, normally when I think about this movie, of course, he's the first thing I think of. Um, and it's such a, like you said, it's such a shrewd casting, mm-hmm. but it's also such a shrewd performance um, that he's kind of, and Alec Baldwin said this in his thing but uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit later, um, that he's playing an old man still, right. but he's a young man. Um, and that's yeah. such a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, at any in it for anyone um yeah it should but, be said that by this point hudson was you know about 40 years old you know yeah. so he's not like super super he's probably only young, about 20 um, years young 20 or so years younger but, but to the point that this yeah. holds on i was actually looking about this earlier the way that his overall wikipedia page which is filled with all kinds yeah. of stuff uh even characterize this movie it's only two sentences that this movie gets on there but i think it's very interesting what it says um He's talking about his overall decline in the star as as he yep. was starting to uh, you know, fade a little bit by the time of the mid sixties. Um Hudson next appeared in Blindfold, nineteen sixty six, talking about he followed a very special favor from sixty five after that. Um then working outside his usual range, he starred in the science fiction thriller Seconds, nineteen sixty six, directed by John Frankenheimer. The film may contain Hudson's best performance, and then it just totally moves on <laughs> yes. and talks about other things. But I just find that very yeah. even the even the Wikipedia page is like, oh, maybe his best performance and then moves on. Uh, yeah. uh I, I need to watch more of his movies. I've seen Pillow Talk, uh, and I thought he was really good in that. Yeah. Really love Giant and especially Yeah, that's a Giant. film I really um, want to see that I haven't and, um, and I yeah. think that's kind of the kind of performance on the pedestals uh, for his career is like, oh, he was in this big, grand yeah. kind of uh, drama of that regard. Uh, and it is a pretty great movie, I think. Uh, you know, features one of several uh, James Dean performances, really. Good. Yeah. And, um, so, again, I think it's very shrewd to cast him in this movie. Yeah. And again, he does a, such a great job of like playing a, you know, you know, a quote, younger man uh, who. Well, he's older man in yeah, a younger man's right. body. I was, yeah. He does a great job with that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, Salome Jens uh, as Nora Marcus. Also, by the way, Rock Hudson is known as uh, Antiquius Tony Wilson, who, as we'll talk, well, I guess I should explain what the movie's about because yeah. I kind of forgot. So, it's essentially about um, 
an older, uh, about middle age, getting towards just being kind of over the hill uh, banker who lives in New York City. Lives just um, a very boring life. Yeah, suburban boring life. Uh, his kid, I think he, he has a daughter who's grown up and moved away. Um, and he's living with his wife. Um, and uh, the uh, the uh, the first version of him is played by John Randolph, who I'll talk about here in a moment. Um, but he's this, you know, old looking, old enough looking guy, just kind of unassuming, uh, kind of bland existence. And he's contacted by um, an old friend of his who's been dead for some years. Um, and he. It has a different voice, and he's talking to him over the phone, but he has a different voice, and he's saying, oh, come to this place, um, or you can be recommended for a project or something, and he proves that it is him, and he, that it is actually him, basically because of some information he gives him, and he goes there, and he finds out that there's this uh, secret company that will allow you for a big, big sum of money that I, like, I don't think it's ever said how much, but he's pretty rich, you know, yeah. to get a new identity, have all this plastic surgery done, and become a totally new person, and you essentially, that old version of you is dead. Um, yeah. They kill you off in this kind of measure of that. So then he is turned into Rock Hudson, basically, right, right, this right. younger man uh, who's a painter who lives in Malibu, California. Um, it should be and, said, too, that, you know, um, we might talk about this in a little bit, that this movie was a huge influence on Mad Men. Yeah. And in a lot of this has been true for years before. I mean, you can go back to 1849 yeah. for this. Yeah. But California has always, in media, been depicted as, oh, this land of dreams of you yeah. can start your life over there. And so I, does it even say really where he's from? I'm, I'm assuming he's just this kind just of New York, Eastern, yeah. Eastern existence who all of a sudden he's going, oh, you're going to the sunny California right. coast. And, oh, your life's going to be great there because you're totally yeah. restarting. Right. Yeah. And, uh, again, this is a science fiction drama thriller, so we know that um, <laughs> yeah. it's not going to be nearly as ideal as he had hoped. And he gets there and meets Salome Jens um, and kind of has a relationship with her. Um, but very quickly, as we said, he's an old man in a young man's body, and he has these specific ideas about... Uh, these kind of conservative values that sort of break down in some ways, but ultimately actually don't. Yeah. Um, and it's not a spoiler to say that by the end, he changes his mind and kind of wants to go back and try something different. And that's where the movie becomes its most uh, horror. Yeah, <laughs> it's by yeah. the end. Um, if you don't, if you haven't seen this movie, which I hope you would have by now, or if you're watching this for the first time, um, and we can talk about this, it's a very shocking um ending to a very shocking film. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, that's basically what the movie's about, and we can talk about kind of what all the themes and kind yeah. of double meanings of this are, is later, but I figured we'd talk about that really yeah. quickly. So, John Randolph... Um, he plays the... Uh, plays guy, the Arthur original Hamilton. version, and he was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor, but actually was beaten by Jack Lemmon, or no, no, by Walter Matthau, rather, in The Fortune Cookie, which mm -hmm. we recently watched. Now, when I wrote a review of this movie back years ago, I, I watched the. I kind of compared this and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and how they were early versions, kind of earlier Pro, versions New of Hollywood. New Hollywood. Although that uh, Butch Cassidy kind of was when New yeah. Hollywood was going on, but that um, that in that review, I said I don't know how that could be possible. But Walter Matthau and like, oh, the fortune cookie, who cares? And then we recently saw that, and yeah. it's not as good as Seconds, right, um, right, but right. it's still quite good, but I just think that's funny that I was like, oh, I can't and believe And Matthau was great in yeah, that. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, 
Matt Matt great in anything. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't really seen John Randolph in I don't think anything else. But I, he's very memorable here. He he has a kind of thankless role in the movie yeah, to uh, right. kind of establish that. And uh, Rock Hudson's more of the draw because he's essentially playing a version of John Randolph while being Rock Hudson. Right. But John Randolph is really great, and we'll probably talk about him a little bit later. Um, Will Gear as Old Man. Um, I feel like I've seen him in some other things, but I don't really remember what they are. Um, but he's that all shucks, like, well, like, everything's gonna be alright, sonny. He's basically the guy who runs the company. Um, and, uh, he, you know, as you as you would probably realize, even in the first scene he's in, that the uh, the kind of you know old man facade. It's all a facade yeah. for these other evil things yeah. that are going on. Also, Richard Anderson is Doctor Ennis. He's kind of the guy that actually does the surgeries and everything. He's in a lot of different things. I've seen him in mostly uh, some of these Frankenheimer movies uh, as well. I think Seven Days in May. Uh, in a lot of ran- he's he's one of those faces that pops up in a lot of '60s movies that I can't yeah. really remember what all he's in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Murray Hamilton, who of course <laughs> that picture on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah go look. Most up famous, the, of course, right. is the Mayor in Jaws. Yeah, um, and in The Graduate, um, yeah. he's literally great in anything. He also in uh, 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 <laughs> the Paul Newman Pool movie. Oh, the, the Hustler. The Hustler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which. <laughs> I'd hope you know yeah, what yeah, movie yeah. that is. I know, <laughs> yeah. You'll find out about that yeah. later. I'm sorry. Um, but no, yeah, remember. yeah. Um, Murray Hamilton, yeah, he's like in one scene of The Hustler. But yeah, yeah. he's great in anything. Uh, really great in The Graduate. Yeah. Um, and he's really great here. He's the uh, old friend, well, the new version of the old friend of uh, Arthur Hamilton, who's the John Randolph character. He's on, he's only in like a couple scenes. Um, Carl Swenson is Dr. Morse. I can't even see what his picture is here. I don't remember. I don't think I remember him in the movie. He's probably one of the other doctors. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, is oh, like, yeah, um, what's kind of great about this movie in terms of all the company stuff is just, yeah. it's like all these quote anonymous older white men that you've seen yeah. in a lot of other things, and it kind of adds to this monochromatic idea of the like, oh, they're all the same, yeah. like you yeah. know, version of older white guy and, basically uh, this time. I'm I'm gonna try to say this name correctly. Uh, Keeg Delete D, Keeg D, I guess he was that guy that was like. He's only one scene of this. He was in the Manchurian Candidate yeah. in some of those scenes where they're brainwashing yeah. the uh, people. So, yeah, he's in that, too. Um, Frances Reed, she's the wife um, in the movie of the uh, other, the original yeah. version of him. She's good in the few scenes she's in. Yeah. She kind of also has a thankless role as, like, the... You know, because I think it's, like, said he... I don't remember how it was he was supposed to have died. It was in, like, a fire, a hotel room fire or yeah. something. Yeah. They'll talk about it in the movie. But um, that she kind of just has to live on yeah. not knowing really what happened. And, of course, there's a scene where Rock Hudson goes back to the house. Yeah, it's one of the most memorable scenes I've yeah, had in the movie. where yeah. it's him mm-hmm. in the room with her, but she doesn't know that. Yeah. But then she's telling him things about right. him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, but you're telling this to a stranger, but it is him. It's very weird. It's a very interesting scene. Uh, yeah. And very good. Yeah. But Wesley Addy as John, who he's been in so many Network, films. Network, I always remember. Yeah. Him he's in, in yeah. some Lumet films. We'll probably talk about Lumet a little bit in this yeah. podcast, too. But yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. Uh, and he's the guy that's kind of his, like, handler, butler yeah. in Malibu. Um, I think that's about it, mostly. Yeah. Um, 
most of the biggest. For most name. of the big people. Uh, it was made for about one point, well, before we get to how much money, because who cares? Um, this wasn't made by Paramount. Yeah. It should be said a studio movie, right. which makes um, it even more kind of shocking yeah, for this um, moment. Right. And uh, Jerry Goldsmith did the score. Yeah. Um, very weird. kind of reminds me of Beetlejuice, some of the, uh, specifically some of the violins the strings, and string yeah. instruments in it. Very scary yeah. score. James Wong Howe, I mean... He he I was mean, considered by many know. to be, kind of be one of the great cinematographers of uh, the classic Hollywood right. era. Um, and I specifically also think I'm a lot... Uh, Go ahead and spoil this for you. Uh, two episodes from now, we're going to be doing Inherent Vice. Yeah. And in that, in the movie, they drop his name once or twice. But I know well, the, book the book, especially, his name is brought up all the time. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, because there's especially the, I I love it in the book, but in the movie, I actually like it better because you can see it. There's that moment where Mickey Wolfman's wife walks up and meets yeah Joaquin Phoenix for the first time, and they're like the way the light is on her face, and she's like, "Do you like the lighting? James Wong Howe did it for us." And it's like, why would he do that for yeah. you? That's the joke. But. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I mean, he's done so many movies. I looked, he has 130 credits. Yeah. Um, and and this it should is, be said by yeah. this point, he was an older right. cinematographer. Well, I he think was he like, was born know. in 1899, two days after my birthday, I think. So yeah. I just missed, he, we yeah. just missed it, James. But, um, no, I mean, other yeah. Other than like by 99 years. Right. So, other but, than yeah. that, other yeah. than, yeah. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, he's done so many movies. He worked with all kinds of people. Samuel Samuel Fuller, I think he worked with here and there. Obviously, we're big fans of. Yeah. Uh, and and th- but and I should say as many movies as he's made, and I've seen some here or there. This is the one I always think of. Well, it, but because yeah. it's so striking. Um, and well, we, also that this movie in particular came in a moment where the classic Hollywood style is starting to go through yeah. a lot of radical changes. So the fact that he participated in that makes it all the more right. interesting. And also being, that you know, we read a long tradition. article that's very good from American Cinematographer. It was actually published in the 90s, I think, but we read it on the internet. Yeah. That talked about this movie very in depth about its cinematography, which I mean, you know, like we, like I said, no, I mean, last it's week one of the most. And he, well, it should be said, Hal also got a uh, Oscar nomination yes, did, for this, yeah. and he had many, and I think he had some right. wins even before this. But, but uh, yeah. so he, and I also said that this uh, this was the very last year. I read this somewhere. This very yeah. last year that the they gave out the cinematography award in color and in uh, black and white separately right. before they combined yeah. them, and that this lost to. Who's a very Virginia Wolf? Uh, which, which is that's it's very a good. it's a yeah. pretty great movie. Yeah. I would say this, both the cinematography and the movie itself, it's a little better. Yeah. But right. that is a great movie in yeah. itself, and should be said the debut of a very important filmmaker of this era as well, Mike Nichols. Yeah. Um, so yep. you know. Um. But yeah. So what, the one thing I want to say about that, as far as that article was, that they talked about how there's actually some debate about who made the yeah. choices of whether it was Frankenheimer or how. I think it is somewhere in the, if I don't know the specifics, but I would assume it's somewhere in the middle um, that both kind of contribute. Yeah, I mean, so that, much, that's but, always the problem with film authorship yeah. is that, oh, it's this person. Oh, it's that person. It's like, yeah. well, it com- ultimately comes out of conversations that yeah. not only these two men, but all their technicians yeah. are having about how do we accomplish this shot or that right. shot. So sometimes attributing pure film authorship is a. Right. farcical endeavor because again it's just all these people collaborating and right. ultimately what we get is what feels so specific and so idiosyncratic when yeah. in reality is the result of a, a lot of variety of collaborators which I think is what makes films exciting overall as an art yeah. film but. Um, and I think you know I mean there's so many things about this movie as far as the cinematography and we'll kind of talk about them throughout um, very early use of what would 
later be basically a version of Steadicam. It, it, it wasn't created as Steadicam. Yeah, Steadicam would but, really kind of become yeah. a lot more prominent by the mid to late 70s. Right. Um, Bound for Glory had one of the very first famous Steadicam shots. And then, of course, The Shining, which came along yeah. about four and, years uh, after that. Garrett Browning, uh, of course, created that, who I've been in the same room with yeah. before, I should yeah, you, say. You did see a screen um, of The Shining with him. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I saw a screening of The Shining that he and uh, Joe Dunton, who made a lot of uh, various uh, lenses and stuff, were at, and that was really cool. But anyway, I don't want to talk more on that. But I, It's not like I met him. Or Kubrick's anything. own daughter was there as well, and right? She, yeah, Vivian Kubrick was there too, but um, that was late. That was actually a little later. They had a, uh, a Q&A. And I left it early because I was like, it was in downtown Wilmington, and it wasn't. It was on a Friday night. It wasn't that late, but it was getting towards ten o'clock, and I was like, ah, I better get home. This sound. If you're probably screaming, like, why did you give up that opportunity? Which is a question I've continued <laughs> to ask myself ever since. So, I mean, I was there for a little bit of it, but anyway, um, but anyway, it's less a little bit of steady cam. it's like they attach the cameras to people and kind of did that sort of yeah, thing, and it's right. very strange and just. There's a lot. Uh, we read in there. There's so many times where there's so many cameras running yeah. at different times, and there's it's a lot more handheld. Yeah. Uh, and it's very yeah, it's very strange. So we'll talk about that throughout the movie. But, but. I think this would be a great time. We've mentioned him already multiple times. Uh, we want to spend a good amount of time, I think, today talking about yeah. John Frankenheimer, who um, I kind of said off the cuff last week and didn't even real realize what I was saying until after I said it. But I, I would stand yeah. by as I know certainly one of your favorite filmmakers, yes. yeah. uh, and is one of mine as well. And um, his whole career in general, and certainly his endeavors in that career, come in a very interesting transitional moment for uh, especially Hollywood cinema. Yeah. Um, and um, this is kind of the conclusion of the whole, quote, paranoia trilogy that he made, or trilogy of paranoia, yeah. whatever it is, um, of The Manchurian Candidate, which is probably the most, no- I would yeah. say, his most well-known films. I think films. that's probably his most well-known film, I would uh, Think. Yeah, yeah, probably is. Uh, and then um, Seven Days in May, mm-hmm. which is among my very favorite. Yeah, and that's I think one of his best films. And it should that, be yeah. said that um, Frederick March, who plays the president in that movie, uh, I think one of my all-time favorite presidential performances. But if you're incorrect in that judgment, we're in for a week of unadulterated nightmare. And there's all there's everybody's in that movie. Too. Yeah, it's like Burt oh, Lancaster, yeah. who we also love, Kurt Douglas. Kurt Douglas uh, Emma Gardner was she in that yep, as well? She was and, in a couple uh, scenes. Yeah. So there's just oh, all uh, kind of, Edmund O'Brien, Edmund O'Brien, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But no, uh, yeah. Uh, and then this is yeah the kind of last of those movies, which is interesting because it's the least political. I was going to uh, say of that the three out of um, these three but, movies, uh, the first two are much more concerned with like institutions. Yeah, whether it be of course uh, the United States government, especially with those first two movies, but um, also the like possibility of foreign influence or even um, our own generals turning against our president. Right. So it's like kind of dealing with this very big thing, yeah. which it should be said is like occurring in the early 60s yeah. um, when, like, very famously, John F. Kennedy had a, seemingly in the press and in private a lot of contempt for the kind of um, military-industrial complex, yeah. which Eisenhower had just warned about yeah. as he was leaving office in 61. Um, and so they're very uh, big movies yeah. and... The characters are very much standing in for ideas and yeah. uh, giving a lot of speeches, and I, I love those movies yeah. in their own way. But they're very um, big, and they're yeah. very, um, as you said, political. Yeah. This movie, I think, what makes it so fascinating and possibly the superior out of the three 
is that it's a down, it's a subtle downshift. It's okay. We're this is kind of more concerned concerned in some ways with corporatism, yeah. a little more than like these big federal government or United States in the yeah. same way. It's like much more concerned with corporatism as a big thing. But really, the heart of the movie is we get the most personal character, yeah, and most uh, specific character out of any of these yeah. movies. Um, with this old man who wants to become young again. Uh, and and I'll talk about this later more in depth, but I think that in itself is very political and an expression of counterculturalism at this time, but I'll talk more in depth yeah, about that Yeah, in, but in general, Frankenheimer yeah. is such a gifted director. I mean, you know, he... I think he's... He, what makes him interesting, he did a lot of TV work, I believe, uh, yeah. in the 50s, I think, before he started really yeah. making feature films. Um, he seems to me like one of the the first generations of filmmakers who was really inspired by and studied the films of Alfred Hitchcock. I think yeah. like you look at like the trajectory of a lot of filmmakers of that time. Um, he seems like he's one of the first directors to kind of say, okay, what Hitchcock did, I'm going to take that and I'm going to try to not, when I say take it to another level, not necessarily elevate it, but just say, okay, what are we going to do now? What's the new direction to go of what Hitchcock built with the thriller? Um, it should be said the opening title theme, of, uh, opening yeah. titles of this are done by Saul Bass, who we'll probably yeah. mention as the movie starts. Um, and it is in some ways very reminiscent in that way of Vertigo in terms yeah. of just the very opening uh, credits With of the that. eyes and yeah, yeah and the yeah. and the body and the face yeah. and all that. Um, and so I just think Frankenheimer is a really special director. And, and what's great is that you know. I think he's most known for the 60s period in terms of his films, but he makes films into the 70s and yeah. the 80s and the 90s, um, and even in, the, I think, the early 2000s as yeah. well. So um, one of my personal favorite movies of his is uh, Black Sunday yeah. Love that. Uh, from the 70s. That just kind of, to me, um, represents um, one of the kind of just the peak, the peak of the B movie. Yeah. It's kind of got a, kind of a goofy, silly premise, but it has some really big I political mean, it, ideas yeah. in it. It's talking about Israel-Palestinian uh, conflict. It's talking about the Vietnam War. Yeah. Like it's this very big uh, canvas and tableau. It's and about with, terrorism at and that terrorism, time. And, yeah. while also being uh, goofy and fun <laughs> yeah. and silly. Yeah. And, and that to me almost represents almost the perfect B movie. There are yeah. B movies that are quite better than that, yeah. but I, that's like to me yeah. the prototypical. Yeah. B movie. And just for you, I know as a fan of Frankenheimer, yeah. what makes him special to you when you kind of think his name comes up? Well, it's partially this movie, but I also think The Manchurian Candidate as well, which is actually the one of my... I, I do like The Manchurian Candidate quite a bit. I think it's really good, but it's, I don't love it as much as some other people do. But those movies are so... Um, I don't even know what the word is. Just radical. Um, they feel like I, uh, I know a lot of people really reject the phrase or the term the zeitgeist. Yeah, and direct and trying to place all this importance on people who are now or then. Yeah, like trying to be on the pulse of the country. But I think that's frankly an undervalued thing at this point. And and I mean in some cases overvalued. It yeah, but um, he really had his pulse on this moment of the yeah. '60s in a way that a lot of people. Uh, at the time, didn't necessarily have. Yeah. Um, yeah, just this political perceptiveness. And the fact that he could take kind of what was going on politically, socially of, in the nation and transform it into cinema yeah. that in his own way, I feel like, influences things to come, I think is yeah. what makes his career so special. And with specifically with The Manchurian Candidate, as everybody knows, came out in 1962, and the primary, you know, you know, plot of that movie is all about a 
you know, wronged war veteran who has been brainwashed to assassinate uh, American political leader. Um, as Lee Harvey Oswald, of course, not, probably, you know, not, who know we know no, the more we find out about the JFK, yeah. JFK assassination, the less we know, but I'm pretty sure it was not specifically brainwashed into doing right. anything he did. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's very clearly and very eerily and horrifyingly perceptive. With, yeah. I mean, um, and a lot, everybody talks about that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that with that and, uh. Seven Days in May, I find to be just such a fascinating um, movie in so many ways about um, the nature of leadership. Is that a and, 64? Yeah. 64, okay. Um, the nature of leadership and whether or not uh, that can be taken away if people, you know, dictate, well, you're not as good of a leader as you ought to be, you know. Right. Um, it should be said, um, was, that, was it General Walker? Who was that former yeah. general who was like making a lot of and he had been stuff almost Kennedy assassinated and, by Oswald before yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, and that, I feel like that's point on that a little bit. Yeah. And um, and what I, I I made a reference to this kind of uh at the end of the last episode. Yeah. Uh, what is so fascinating to me about this movie in this particular moment? If you're just like, okay, what's going on in like 1966? That obviously this is in the midst of America has just now involved itself in the Vietnam War. Um, President Johnson was reelected in a landslide in '64, um, and so when people now, years later, mm -hmm. and the way the '60s have been mythologized, talk about um, quote the '60s, yeah. they think of like the whole era of the like uh, you know brave or not brave new world, uh, new maybe maybe so in some ways, <laughs> yeah. uh, new frontier <laughs> yeah. of like this Kennedy optimism and Camelot and all that stuff, yeah. And then, well, we have our crises. We have the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, before that, we had the Bay of Pigs invasion yeah. and all that. Um, and so, but Kennedy, you know, he stood strong. He, like, he prevented us to go into war with the Russians. And then a year later, his assassination, which shocked the nation and yeah. really put us in a tailspin for a great deal of years. In some ways, I wonder if we've ever truly, totally Probably came out not. of it. Um, yeah. But um, we're still talking about it. We're still obsessed with it. So, and then we, and I feel like our cultural memory, like, Oh, like a civil rights movement happened, and then we jumped to like, and there was like a you know great society and poverty and that whole thing, and then but then yeah. we jumped to the late '60s right. and we see like the 1968 uh, Democratic Convention in Chicago, where you know um, the police are you know fa facing protesters, yeah, um, and then you have well the cr country goes so cynical they go back to the Richard Nixon who's yeah. elected, and but. I feel like this whole m middle period of the 60s is sometimes yeah. neglected in the cultural Basically memory. the Johnson period. Uh, less, and yeah. I think this movie really kind of captured it in a beautiful way of a guy trying to turn back the clock and trying yeah. to say, well, let's go back to the, you know, let's try to get back to the way things were, even in a very short-term yeah. basis. Um, and, of course, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. We can't do that. Um, yeah. And both literally for the United States at this time and for also this man. And yeah. he... And, you think, oh, we're going to wash the sins away and we're going to be a new person. And in some ways he indulges, yeah. as you said, in some ways he indulges in that. In other ways he rejects it. Um, but ultimately he knows it's not true yeah. and it knows it can't be. And uh, Someone referenced in one of the uh, you know articles we read about this, they mentioned the moment in the Buckaroo Banzai, whatever that is all yeah. called, 
uh, that Confucius in that movie said, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Which is funny, but it makes you realize like he's the same man. It doesn't matter how much. And it's the same thing with Don Draper and Mad Men. It doesn't, or the Dick Whitman yeah. become Don Draper. No matter how much you try to change yourself, you're still going to be that same person. And that's ultimately, obviously, Don Draper gets a far um, happier ending than this Redemptive person art. does yeah, in depend, this movie. Depending on your interpretation. Uh, I mean, but, li- but literally, well, it's a better place regardless. <laughs> he's not, you know. Yeah, it doesn't what I mean. matter what happens to him after. Well, right. uh, let's just say uh, what happens to this man, nothing can happen yeah. after that. Yeah, so, right. So, uh, yeah. It, his life is over. So, yeah. um, but in that, yeah, so it's kind of the same thing of like, no matter what you do, um, you're going to be that same person. Yeah. Um, um, and, and there's no way you can change that. To that, that. point, um, I think I can speak for both of, both of us. We're absolute 60s nerds. Yeah. Literally any time in the history of time, Yeah. okay, if you said what is your most favorite time to study and look at yeah. and fascinated by, it would be the 1960s. Um, um, uh, I should be said our mother was born the year this movie was made, uh, released, 66. Yeah. Um, our dad was born in 54, so he would have been like, you were just actually talking about him with this little yeah. bit ago, 12 years old. He, right. he had no idea that this movie existed. No, yeah. Uh, and it kind of fell through the cracks, obviously, in the culture. Yeah, and we'll talk uh, about that time. here in a little bit. Um, yeah. But I just absolutely am love and am fascinated with the 60s in general, just yeah. the history. But also, um, and this will go another direction, yeah. when you think of like 60s Hollywood or 60s cinema, what's your overall take or impression of that Well, period? the first thing I think of off the top of my head is stuff like The Great Escape. Um, that came out in the 60s, didn't it? Yeah, it did, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I don't think the Dirty Dozen came out in the sixties. Yeah, I think, I think it did. that was was it okay. I didn't, couldn't remember if that was early seventies. I'm gonna get the dates for these. A lot quick. of it's a lot of like World War Two. Sixty three was Great Escape. Uh, it's a lot of these World War Two movies. A lot of uh, remakes of like musicals like Showboat. Um, also, well, uh, also Sound of Music was yeah like a huge right. 60s All these success. big musicals. Dirty Dozen was sixty seven. Okay, so yeah, a lot of these like a Man on a Mission right, movies and like, or like. Uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world, which I'm still a big fan of, and we might be doing that movie eventually, if I'm sure, at some point. But movies like that that are just obviously cram jam packed. Part, and part like, of the reason for that is because television, uh, yeah. they were competing with television ultimately because they were like, we've got to make these big and biblical epics, which were yeah. mostly in the late '50s, but kind of went yeah. into the '60s. A lot of these really big, bloated movies, a lot of comedy movies, like uh, <laughs> what was the name of that movie? Not with my wife, you don't. Yeah. And uh, or if they've had a war and no one came. Uh, yeah, and, like, and the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Stuff like that. These very kind of big, ridiculous movies. So that's the first thing I think of. Now that's mostly in the early '60s, but then they have stuff in the later '60s of this too. But it's a time of great. You said this. It's a time of great change in the culture where there's a lot of these Hollywood movies that are still trying to hold on to this type of thing and are still trying to be oh this like they're trying they're and I guess a lot of those beach movies came out in the early 60s. Yeah, a lot of these movies that are party. trying to be kitschy and uh, trying to appeal to youthfulness, yeah. but are done in this way that is still very much like 50s Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but then you have a movie like this, which is even to this day the most one of the most shocking movies I've ever seen. I just can't Well, I think get what for like, me what know. is and you've seen this movie more than I have. Yeah. Uh, but even in my memory of seeing this uh to me what's so shocking about this movie is that you literally see I I feel like I'm literally yeah. seeing the industry grow up as yeah. I watch as the yeah. movie is happening literally in real time. I feel like the literally this movie is saying this is where we're going, not yeah. just purely in terms of the plot, but in terms of like the style and that yeah. uh 
and it should be said, I think um, this was, was this Frankenheimer's first, and we haven't seen The Train, we really want to. Yeah, I want I think to, it was yeah. his first movie he made after he came back from Europe to shoot that. Probably. And this obviously has a much more European take of, like, in terms of the European art center yeah. of the 50s and 60s. It reminds Godard, me a I mean, lot of, yeah, Godard and Antonioni. I, I think and, I'd read it somewhere, yeah. and uh, I know in Scott Tobias's Dissolve, yeah. review he gave of this he compared this a lot to the twilight zone or something as well and another uh, thing yeah and i think it definitely is that another thing i find interesting about that too is that rod sterling wrote the screenplay to seven days in may i don't right. know if there's a correlation between that yeah. but um, well, they at least knew each other to it some feels degree, very right? much like a twilight zone episode like what the planet of the apes would yeah. in a way too but rod sterling actually wrote the screenplay yeah. of that. Uh, but, but yeah, uh anyway. i saw it was one of the articles we read uh, where it said that this was almost like a Twilight Zone episode directed by Jean-Luc Godard, yeah, which right. uh, I think is a yeah. fascinating way to put it. Um, and yeah, for me personally, like um, I'm I, I'm actually very fascinated with 60s cinema, but I don't, as a whole, love it. Yeah. Um, there are, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, films and filmmakers um, and actors and actresses I love from the period. Um, but in a weird way, I'm much more fascinated by the 50s yeah. And the seventies, the decades on either side of it, but it is undeniably a very important moment because this is the literally the death throes of the old studio system yeah. is uh, happening at this moment. And to that point of what you said earlier, that's why a lot of these movies are really bloated. They're competing yeah. with TV. They're like, we got to cram in as many people as possible because we got to give them something that. Um, you know they gotta get their money. They're gonna worth get their to money's worth. The, the ideas they could just sit and watch TV. Um, yeah. And even like right. old, a lot of old movies are being shown on TV at this yeah. time too. So they're you're, they're even competing with themselves. Well, and not to ways. make this too current, but we're up other than COVID going on in yeah. general. We've really been seeing that with what theaters want to show anymore. Yeah. Um, they're only showing the Marvel films. They're only showing the Meg. Disney, uh, you know, Disney, Disney, uh, big Disney yeah, live action like, remakes. And like, uh, whatever the hell they show. Yeah. They're not showing First Cow because nobody's going to come out of the house to go see that because they could just sit in front of Netflix. Because there's something I mean, oh, they'll watch it on Netflix. It'll, you know, yeah. So why would they get out of the house? Why would we try to make more money for something they would want to watch anyway? Huh. Yeah. I wonder. Anyway. And to me, I think I can speak for both of us. We have the absolute opposite opinion. Yeah. Uh, well, if we're even going to see some of these movies at all, yeah. Uh, why wouldn't we just see it at home? Because they're just going to pile you know, up on the streaming service, right? And we're not while, that. why not get out of the house to see something that's just like, it's just a little smaller, a little more thoughtful. Yeah. Um. That needs the business, quite frankly. Yeah, also, right. it's like I'm starting to see this, frankly, on a more moral level in terms yeah. of how am I spending my money? Am I spending it on trash? Or am I spending it on something that? Or are you actually, spending you know, it on Jackson? Jack, not Jack. Well, wow. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Right. Yeah. We're not going to be talking about that uh, anymore now. So let's yeah, move on. Yeah, I would say something else. I'm just going to move on. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, you know, cultural terrorist Zack Snyder. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um. And so, like again, this period of 60s Hollywood is very fascinating to me. But again, I think oftentimes of the first movies I think of are some of these kind of, even some that I like, yeah. uh, these kind of big, bloated, oh, let's try to get people back into the theater. While, of course, we're on the fringe, or on the cusp, literally a year later from this movie of The Graduate, mm-hmm. of Bonnie and Clyde, two years after that, Easy Rider, that yeah. really fully kicks off the whole new Hollywood era. Um, which is, of course, uh, also my favorite period of yep. cinema. Yeah, of, of great many yep. I, that I love uh, every year in yep. its own way. But um, yeah, and so again, that's what's fascinating to me is that, like you said, that you know Butch Cassidy is 
kind of when was that 69 69 that came out? so it, like because that came out the same year as the wild right too, uh, so, and so yeah. something like butch cassidy while that's kind of a, a doing the new hollywood going in the new hollywood direction it should be said is also using stars who are already pre-established yeah. like paul newman who had been in existence for some years and i think that's like what um and it is a comedy as well which is interesting yeah. so um and yeah. i just think both of those movies are good examples of okay we're going to try to do a type of movie that's been done before whether it be there are a billion and one westerns made by that point. Um, this is like the Hitchcockian thriller. Yeah. Um, because also it should be said about the 60s that Hitchcock has, had made Psycho, he had made The Birds, he had made Marnie, all in the 60s. And those were a little bit before this. And those are still very much uh, studio movies, but they are very pushing in that direction. I, I was going to say this. I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. I don't think this movie is really possible without Psycho. No. Um, I think you know Psycho's groundbreaking for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and you know there were a decent number of black and white movies still being made in the '60s, but you know a lot of people when they think of like '60s cinema or '60s black and white, Psycho is one of the first movies that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that movie. This is based on a novel as well. I yeah, think. it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Psycho itself was this literary adaptation. Right. And it should be said in terms of for quote genre movies or horror movies. This movie was kind of a big deal. It's like, yeah. oh, it's going to be a quote genre movie, but it's going to take it a little more seriously, or it's going to try to be a little bit more elevated than their traditional horror yeah. or genre. By movie. the way, I wanted to shout him out because I didn't know who he was. Uh, John L. Russell was a cinematographer for Psycho, so uh, great job on him because he never gets brought up. I'm sure, but uh, what anyway, else has he made? Actually, I have no clue. That's what I was going to look. Um, not a whole. Well, looks like a lot of random stuff. Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. I wonder if he even. A lot I know of just that random things. I know. I think that um, Hitchcock heavily used a lot of uh, people who worked on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. I wonder if he uh, go down if he's got a television. Nope, no, it doesn't. That's it. Okay. It yeah. Might, I don't know. If anyway, he might, might not uh, not, but he that's what he's most known for. Okay. He and he, he earned an Academy Award nomination for that extensive TV work. That's it. So I, I I feel safe assuming that yeah. he probably did a little bit of Alfred Hitchcock right. Presents. Um, but again, I don't know if this movie is really possible without Psycho yeah. coming before. And again, Hitchcock in general, this is very, like I said, that's what I think about with Frankenheimer. I think he's like a director who came up and studied and knows the work of Alfred Hitchcock and is like, okay, I'm going to do that, but a new version of that. What's yeah. the new direction that this is going to take? Right. And so to that end, again, I think that's one of many reasons why this movie is fascinating. Yeah. And like I said, I feel like. I'm literally watching the industry actually yeah. change over the duration of the movie yeah. itself, which is always an exciting thing yeah. to see. And as far as I, I'll kind of give a little mini lecture on this really quickly before we move on, before we kind of move on, talk about the movie a little bit more in general, and then moving on to the movie itself. That I think this film, Seconds, and uh, John Cassavetes' Faces in 1968, only two years later. Wow, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my stomach was rumbling for some reason. Um, because I'm talking about all these movies You're hungry I love. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm hungry. Like, um, <laughs> but uh, that that was only two years after this, and it was being made actually around the time this sort of came out because that movie kind of had a long production history because uh, it was even de definitively independent. But I think they're two of the best expressions of my fascination of conservatism and its reaction to liberalism or the counterculture that these are these older men, both he and John Marley in that film, yeah. uh, don't really want anything to do 
with that, uh, Roger Sterling is another version of this in Mad Men. I yeah. think of they they're they're these you know Republican conservative establishment, establishment yeah. people, very older white men yeah. who were businessmen, but they had this kind of itch in yeah. the back of their mind. They they want to engage in this counterculture in these very kind of strange ways. Um, that they ultimately in the end. Especially with Roger Sterling, because I think that's what's interesting. Another little Mad Men lecture here. What are you going to say something about? John I'm just going to say that I was looking about John Marley's age. Yeah. He actually served in World War II. That's a yeah. lot of Greatest Generation right. guys that are yeah. kind of coming into conflict with uh, that generation between the boom, baby boom generation and the baby boom itself. Right. I feel like, but yeah, that's all yeah. I was looking about. Um, but that with those types of people like specifically like I said we'll say about Roger Sterling his real ending in Mad Men I think he's in the last half season of season 7 but I think the very end his kind of final real ending in the show is when he goes to find his daughter yeah. at that commune and unlike his ex-wife who immediately wants to leave and is like well I'm not dealing with her because she's just crazy right. and whatever he's trying to understand it and trying to work with her on it but in the end wants to drag her away and says this is over time to come back to real life now and she pushes him down in the mud and he kind of gets up and walks away defeated and that that whole show he's been you know taking LSD he's been hanging out with these hippie people he's been taking drugs and drinking and doing all these different things but ultimately it comes down to he is that conservative man well just that that, that image of him in his blue suit caked in mud that that says more in an image than right and uh, none of that is conveyed that's all Matthew Weiner's genius. Yeah. Um, but that's what I think, what I love about this movie and Faces, too, is that, and specifically Faces, my read on that movie specifically is that the movie opens with them viewing some, like, what's the the La Dolce Vita of the commercial field, yeah. as they say. Whatever that <laughs> film is they're supposed to be watching, yeah. the movie starts, and then that, that, it starts with that, and then the actual movie starts. Yeah. Which I read is like, the, this is a, that John Marley's character's vision of, oh, I want to go break yeah. out and be the crazy wild man that these people are. Yeah. But he ultimately comes home at the end of the day and has to deal with him and his wife's failing yeah. marriage. So all that I think seconds is a bit, and and this obviously is that about trying to become a younger man well. that you're tired of your boring life. But in the end, you ultimately say, no, I kind of want to go back and try something new, which is the old thing. So I think this seconds is about a lot of things specific, yeah. a lot of very specific things that are very broad or specific. But that's something I find to be the most one of the most interesting things because that's something I'm fascinated by personally is that very specific moment, and that's something that happens. You know, the midlife crisis thing happens all the time, and that's a version, a very you know general version of that. But there was a very specific time in American history where things were changing so fast, and there were so many of these people who would watch on TV and look at people getting beaten in the street at the DNC in 68 in Chicago and say, I don't care about that. That has nothing to do with me. Screw those people. And yet, in their mind, they would still want to do something like this in their own fantasy land and want to do these things. But they almost would feel inadequate of doing those, or that's just the fantasy they have they'll never enact, or that they would fail in doing so. But... Anyway, another subtext just, I think you know, uh, to what I mentioned earlier with the greatest generation is a thing I'm really fascinated by their evolution over time. Yeah, and a great many of them have now passed on. Um, but one other thing that fascinates me about these period of movies and uh, Frankenheimer especially, but also even um, uh, uh, 
not red alert, but the oh gosh, well, the fail uh, safe. Fail safe. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, as the in both in both seven days in May and in um, fail safe. This is kind of maybe going yeah. off on a tangent, but uh, that the president in those movies are played by classic Hollywood stars, Frederick March, Frederick March and, Henry, and Henry, Fonda, Henry Fonda, who represent yeah. the purest, most Ford. authentic <laughs> versions of yeah. like positive, calm authority. Um, and in the Frederick March version, or in you know Seven Days in May, it all ends up seemingly working out in the end, yeah. in terms of like, oh, he was able to pull the country together, and he was able to reunite everybody. Um, decisively less so, I think we can say in uh, Fail Safe yeah. in terms of the ending of that movie. But um, this, and in his own way, of course, uh, John F. Kennedy was the first uh, greatest generation yeah. candidate and winner, you know. And so, in general, I think that's something that really fascinates me about the 60s is that greatest generation type or era trying to come deal with the, okay, what is this time period and how is it affecting me and how yeah. is it challenging my own authority or personal kind of ideas, you know. So I think that's one of many reasons why not only Frankenheimer's work in general, but this movie and his distillation also right. fascinates me. And so uh, I think this is only the second full time I've seen this really? movie, actually, okay. I believe, uh, which is the second time that's happened this yeah. week. Trust me, the one next week I've seen many, many times. Yeah. Uh, what uh, do you remember your first impressions of the first time you saw this and what it impacted? Well, it had on I you? would have, and this movie kind of got a second life. Uh, oh, how apt! Yeah. Um, got kind of a second life when it got put out on Criterion. It should be said that the the movie itself was kind of a failure, both critically and commercially. It only made about one point seven million. I don't know how much it was made for, but it wasn't a success. Uh, it kind of got forgotten. Uh, it should be said that same year, though. Uh, we haven't mentioned yeah, this yet. Grand right. Prix came yeah, out, which we both love. Yeah, we watched Grand Prix recently this last year for the first time, uh, which is another Frankenheimer film, which is literally about a Grand Prix, and that's and all it, it's and about. And it is like, very different yeah. in some ways. I mean, his sense of style and action and the way he shoots things is very much there, but it yeah. is a very, very different yeah. movie, but also great. No, I mean, that's way. another example of, I mean, nothing can touch the Jurassic Park Schindler's List in one year, but that's pretty close. I mean, you know, doing... Two totally different movies that are that great, yeah. you know. Um, one in one a big action movie in color, and another one a smaller um, black and white. Black and yeah. white. Although the time limits kind of switched for that as yeah, far right. as how long they are, the running times. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't remember actually. This movie's lived in my consciousness for so long since I saw it that I actually don't remember exactly what I thought of it the first time. But I was certainly shocked. Um, uh, it's just. One of those movies that's so visual, it's hyper visual. Um, everything is almost to the extreme, although there's not a lot of dialogue in it. Like, uh, and it's a pretty quiet movie in some ways until it's not. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to say. I it's funny. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite movies, like in my top ten or necessarily, but it is probably my top thirty or fifty somewhere. It's a movie that has made a drastic impression on me. Um, and made me lo fall in love with Frankenheimer and um, has made me fall in love in some ways with somebody like Samuel Fuller. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if we mentioned him I'm, yet, but I'm yeah. kind of obsessed with these filmmakers who are making movies that are on such the cutting edge. And I mean, some other movies that were made in the 60s that I love are uh, Shock Corridor and I think Naked would, Kiss. I think um, this and Shock Corridor make yeah. a really great double feature. And yeah. those are... Specifically, let me say with the the only other feeling I've ever gotten close to this movie of watching a movie of this time is probably the Naked Kiss, 
you I mean you remember the opening of that yeah, movie yeah. Um, where the actress I can't remember her name it escapes me but uh, yeah look that up it, yeah. is beating her pimp with yeah. like and her wig comes off I mean, yeah. It's literally one of the most shocking things in any movie I've ever seen. Uh, what was Constance Towers. Constance Towers, and she was also in Shock Corridor as well. She's still alive right now. Oh, really? Well, good for She'll her. be 88 in May. Um, But so, stuff like that, and I'm just like, and if you've never seen The Naked Kiss or Shock Corridor, please go watch those two. That would be something we might would eventually do on here. I don't know. Well, he's another future, director but, I feel like yeah. we didn't mention, but is certainly of this uh, And I love Fuller even uh, more than I love Frankenheimer, but... Uh, but they're pretty close actually. Yeah. But um, I just I love Sam. Every, everybody an, loves Samuel Fuller. One but, who he yeah. made a lot of movies going as he got older and even into the eighties. Yeah. I don't know if he was really making movies by the nineties. Uh, no, I think he died him. in like yeah. the late eighties or something. And I mean, like he made stuff in the eighties, like White Dog, which is one of the most another one of the most shocking movies I've ever seen. And that that movie was similarly kind of lost for a long he died time. Ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah, so he might. I don't think he did make anything in the nineties, though. I think he kind of quit. Which, and the Big Red One, I think that was right. one of his last bigger movies. Yeah. And then White Dog was yeah. eighty two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, so this movie's influenced me in so many ways. Of made me go in different directions. That obviously I love the sixties and love New Hollywood before this movie that I saw it. But it really, like I said, just made an impression on me that was. Uh, very definitive, um, and and I, yeah. I know that you I'd kind of sort of barely heard about this movie in the ether. Yeah, I think it's Criterion Collection uh, release help, and it should yeah. be said. Um, we just went back and watched. There's this really random, yeah. awesome, special <laughs> feature of of all people, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, just kind of talking about this movie yeah. and kind of the and overall he... effect it had on him. The greatest films are always films that when. They come on, you're going to watch them. You take a shower, and you come out, and your wife says, we got to go shopping. And you go, yeah, yeah, we're going to go get that shopping done. And then you're sitting there in the bathrobe, and the TV comes on, and there's seconds. And you're going to sit down, you're going to watch that movie until your wife screams at you and makes you get up. Some movies you've got to be in the mood for. Other movies, they put you in the mood. They take you hostage in a way. And that was John's films. John's films took you hostage. You know what my favorite thing about that is? Is that he's like, um, oh, whenever Seconds comes on, you just have to watch it. And I'm like, when is Seconds on TV? Yeah. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a but great Alan Baldwin's but, actually all, there's no, been he, several instances of yeah. him being very uh, intelligent and cogent about yeah. movies. I know, uh, what I love, there's this clip of him on Conan uh, asking Conan, like, did you see the Did you see the Godfather reunion? It's streaming on Facebook, and it's like you could tell if he wasn't some big actor, he would literally just be some huge movie nerd, yeah. like wanting to watch the Facebook live feed of yeah. the like anniversary of the Godfather films, yeah, right. like, and doing impressions of all yeah. the people. Right. But he just happens to be right. uh, this big actor, yeah. you know. It's just yeah. kind of uh, but, yeah. randomly endearing about him. But yeah. um, love that whole clip though. That's hilarious. Yeah. To me. Anyways, but, yeah. Uh, so. I, you had really been a disciple to me on this movie and been talking about, yeah. oh, this movie seconds, you got to see it. And then I did. And again, unfortunately, this is only the second time I've seen it, but I've actually thought about it a lot yeah. over the years and just haven't ha- had the, I would say, haven't had the time, but I have. Yeah. But uh, haven't found the time to right. watch it again. And so I'm very fascinated to re-experience it. Um, but yeah, it immediately just was kind of like a mini atom bomb going off in my head of, really telling and communicating to me a lot of these things I've already said about yeah. its place and time and the culture. Um, just felt really radical. But again, this is a Paramount Pictures production. This is yeah. not like, um, you know, some 
you know, Fru Fru Foreign Company or something yeah, making this yeah. movie. This is Paramount Pictures, and I think it speaks to the the fact that new Ho- or the old Hollywood system is falling away. That they were trying to do a little bit of riskier stuff yeah. uh, and do something like this. Uh, and to that point, again, this has kind of become a cult classic. Yeah, uh, and has kind of now found its new audience uh, and a little more beloved now. Um, other than a lot of other things we've said, what can you maybe attribute that to yourself, just yourself as a fan? I think it's, I think it's just it is so shocking. I think maybe people recognize that. That's what I recognize in it. Maybe is that it's just it's a total otherworldly experience. Um, and I really, and we've been doing a lot of advocations recently. Yeah. If you've never heard of this movie, I'm, I hope you will check it out. Um, but and I think you'll be, I think everybody will be shocked the first time they see it. It. it you think you've seen a lot of stuff and you've been prepared for a movie like this, um, but it is—it really is something else. Uh, cult classic, I guess. I guess it's just because of what it's about, um, and that I think a lot of people can see themselves in this movie in different ways. Now, I'll go ahead and say I don't see myself in this movie that much because. <laughs> I'm not, uh, well, I don't want to attach too much to this person. I'm not that depraved as a human being, some of the things that happened in this movie, and I'm not that desperate. But I'm also a young man. Um, I don't know what it's like yet to be an older person. Um, And I think it's very valuable at people in any moment in their life to kind of think about, what if I could be another person? Um, And obviously this movie is not not advocating for that. Um, So... I don't know. Uh, I think it's because it just is so idiosyncratic. It just is so attractive uh, to a viewer um, in in so many ways. So I don't really know what the answer to that is. But for me, just that it is what it is is so different. I think that other, it. I um, think a lot of it for me, as far as a lot of the reason, it's probably um, become this fetishized object over the years in a in a yeah. good way. It fetishized in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it is kind of a horror movie, but like a different kind of horror movie. Yeah. Um, and that immediately, I think, will probably be, was probably in a lot, for a lot of people, I'd imagine, who like horror movies or like thrillers or sci-fi, a gateway into experiencing a more kind of thoughtful and yeah. or foreign cinema, uh, right. alternative cinema, I think, in Both, a lot of yeah, ways. Both, thematically uh, and stylistically. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I think a lot of it, too, for me, the appeal of it is the historical context in which it evolves right. out of and reflects and is also predictive of. Yeah. Um, but... I think, uh, I think we covered a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah. talking about it. So I think this gonna, is our longest intro, but this movie deserved it. One of the longest, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're going to take a brief break, uh, and you're going to hear a beautifully 60s trailer <laughs> yeah. uh, of this. Uh, Which and is, I, I would actually yeah. encourage you to seek out the visual, the actual trailer itself, which yeah. you can easily find on YouTube, because there's a lot of title screens and stuff yeah. in it that you can't really see right. in the trailer. Yeah. But and, and also, say well, we've said this a million times about the movie itself, Watch the movie, either even if you don't listen to us talking about it, like yeah. watch it because it is so visually expressive in what it is, and it's kind of if you if I mean I know like I said I and I appreciate that a lot of people have been listening to this podcast just listening to it, but you're really going to be missing something, if, yeah. Uh, you know if you don't watch it. So I would agree. So we're going to take a brief break. You'll hear that trailer, and when we come back, we'll start up on John Frankenheimer's film from 1966, Seconds.
bizarre, terrifying. Rock Hudson, in an astonishing change of pace, stars in seconds. Rock Hudson as a second, freed from all responsibilities, now ready to taste new pleasures. Rock Hudson, as a man who buys for himself a totally new life, a chance to begin again. Every man's dream since time began. As soon as these people leave, I'm going to attack you. I want you to know that. I'm counting on it. Rock Hudson, as a man who lives the nightmare of being a second. Why, you're staring at me like that. <laughs> Hey, John. Hey, John. <laughs> hey, John. Why are they staring at me like that? They know. <laughs> they know what? They're like you. Reborns. Oh, Laura! back um so it should be said this this movie was made kind of as the production code yeah. itself was breaking down and but it was retroactively given a rating right it was yeah it was rated r um and there's that i know of there's no uh, the reasons speak for themselves yeah. <laughs> i mean uh, you know but um there's some yeah. nudity in this uh, yeah that i think that's the main that's reason. frankly shocking for kind of a movie yeah. this time period you know something i want to say about that now before we get to that later is that like a couple times when i would watch this when i first saw it um, and I saw when I've seen this movie. I don't even know how many times I've seen it, but it's actually quite a bit. Um, I would skip that whole scene mm-hmm. because it, not even because of the nudity that it offended me it, so much. It was just so chaotic. Yeah, I couldn't. It's I couldn't take of some, it. Like, uh, you know, Peck and Posh, or moment, yeah. like in Straw Dogs, I think of yeah. some sequences in that um, that are just like not jarring to watch. Yeah, and like then. now, I mean, obviously we're not going to, and I don't do that anymore, but when I was first seeing it, it wasn't like I said that it was the new, and plus it also kind of bored me at the same time, um, that section, and it kind of still does in a way, actually, um, but anyway, yeah, we'll get we'll talk more about that when we get there. But, but it should be yeah. said, we're watching again this from the Criterion. Yep. So depending on what method you're watching this, uh, which I know the Criterion now is the m- most beyond mm-hmm. uh, widely available yeah. version of it on home video, anyways. Right. Um, but just be prepared that the sync might be a touch off if you are watching. Right, it. because um, they have to show the Criterion logo beforehand. Yeah. So, so yeah. Anyways, we're gonna hit pl- uh, play on this version in five, four, three, two, one. Play. And we'll be doing some Criterion movies. Yeah, we soon, already got so. some scoped yep. out. I know our very next film is actually going to be a, a Criterion release as well. Much newer film. But yeah. yeah. If you want to try and figure out already what it's going to be. But. Again, the Paramount Picture analogy, it's striking. <laughs> this movie's already going to slit uh, my throat. Thinking <laughs> about some of those Hitchcock movies of the late 50s, yeah. early 60s, a Vertigo, I remember, was a... 
Paramount release. I think there's a lot of things to say about the opening credits of this movie. One thing that's important, I think, is that some of it was used in the uh, the opening credits of uh, Mark Scorsese's Cape Fear. Oh, some of the images there. Yeah. I'm pretty certain they're the same well, I believe thing. that also that was, I think, one of Saul Bass's last... Uh, right, so he must have just reused some of that then, uh, yeah. And I think that one article had said that he had actually shot, you know, all this stuff himself. Yeah. Uh, Which is the scariest stuff in the movie, movie yeah. other than the ending, maybe, I guess. Beginning but. and the ending, yeah. Imagine well, I really love this the, in 1966, and you're already like, "What? Well, are these hop heads up to now?" Yeah. Uh, what I love too is it's taking very familiar objects like yeah. the ear, like the mouth, and just very, you know, garishly distorting them. The ear, yeah. old David Lynch. Here we go. Yeah, we go in the ear. Well, what he would think of this movie, I'm sure probably he probably like loves it. it yeah. But, yeah. Mistaken identity, or like mistaken identity. <laughs> He probably also likes that they took a rock cuts and type of that type right, of actor right, right. and did this movie. Yeah. Like that archetype has been shattered. <laughs> this image is Sterling Hayden. What? Yeah, who is that? Communist infiltration. I was. We were just yeah. saying in between the this that we didn't really mention Kubrick at all, and I think yeah. he's maybe the greatest director of the sixties. Yeah, 60s. no, he is. Yeah, in terms but, of even a movie like Lolita that yeah. we're not necessarily uh, the hugest I'm, I'm fans of. I'm especially not a fan of that. Movie, uh, but, that movie's yeah. at least going for it. Yeah, but Strange Love and 2001, 2001 yeah. is literally one of the crown jewels of cinema. So very sixties director. But. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Who, uh, I guess the most famous score he ever did was Chinatown, I guess. Because yeah. that's always That's one of the up. best scores, yeah. I think, ever, too. Yeah. Written and conducted by Jerry yeah, Goldsmith. Yeah, that's from the, specifically <laughs> well, the Mummy VHS yeah. intro. The, from the, the Mummy from 1999. Should be said as well that I think there were a couple different people who helped finance this movie. One of them randomly was Kirk Douglas. Um, who's not in the movie, interestingly, but that he had worked with Frankenheimer, you know, multiple times. But I can't remember the details this, of this. Yeah, it was, was in old. Seven Days in May. But it was in Seven Days in May, but also there was another Frankenheimer movie he was in before that, I think, even. Yeah, I don't even remember no, I think I can't remember the details of this story, but I think that um, Frankenheimer had had a strained relationship with Burt Lancaster. Yeah. And that Douglas brought and convinced him to be in Seven Days in May and it was like and they actually ironed over that but then Kirk Douglas had a falling out with John Frankenheimer right. or something I can't remember yeah. the details but yeah. you know of course that kind of con- camera on the guy I don't know what you call that but yeah basically uh, we read a yeah. lot in multiple things we read it talked about how they had like a Playboy model undressing in the terminal yeah. so that people would be looking at that and not noticing they were filming this. It's like, okay. Like, but, <laughs> yeah. Whatever you gotta do, I get. I mean, Seconds was made because of that, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's so weird looking the way yeah. that looks. <laughs> It should be said too that in general in the '60s, uh, you started to see a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, like actually not on like studio sets as much yeah. and more on location shooting, and you know, a lot of Frankenheimer movies yeah. utilize that. I 
technique and idea. And then another movie uh, filmmaker that this movie is kind of uh, predict predictive of is uh, Alan J. Pakula, who yeah, you know, in the seventies is one of the most widely regarded and beloved like paranoid thriller filmmakers. Or, you know, I'll say another one maybe too this way even after that as well. David Fincher, yeah, um, the game, yeah, yeah. Which I'm, yeah. I'm a, I guess I'm a big fan of these movies because the game is my favorite Fincher movie. Um, it's up there for me yeah. as well, yeah. Uh, another one is Girl with Dragon Tattoo, but whoops. Who you be? Am I being followed? Like, yeah. Well, not anymore, but <laughs> all right. <laughs> I always for I forget to the all the organs in the yeah. score for this is like makes it uh, automatically like feel much more opera. gothic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Again, as huge fans of Mad Men, a lot of scenes on trains of people yeah. trying to escape this or that. Very famously, Pete Campbell, you know, reading yeah. uh, Gravity's uh, Rain. Right. Or no, it's, no, excuse me, uh, Crown Lot 49. Crown Lot 49, yeah. Which is, at least at this moment, my Twitter profile pic yeah. if you're looking for me <laughs> out there somewhere. There's that motorcycle again outside. I don't know if anybody yeah. Yeah, another thing I like about the uh, way this movie looks, especially there's those scenes when he goes to that slaughterhouse here early on, that and and the operating room scenes. This like very clinical, detached look at anatomy, yeah. and it's very like sickly looking almost. Yeah. But it's like, very weird, especially these early parts of the movie um, and the later parts, but. In the middle, when they're in California, it's a little less. Looks like that, but he is nervous. I think even on a speaks to Frankenheimer's skill. I think even setting this up early on in the film, on a visual level, this establishes for the for him the world's taking place outside a window. Yeah. It's not something he really right. interacts with. It's yeah. it's something's going on over there, uh, right. and that I maybe want to be a part of that. Uh, maybe I don't. I don't know, but I just want to try. You know, yeah. uh, already visually, he's kind of setting up that idea, establishing that idea. Yeah, like I just effortlessly yeah. <laughs> jump right off that. Like. Yeah. I thought this in Mad Men, and since I've seen this, just what a boring existence this has to be to drive back and forth to work, go on a train. I know a lot of people do these things, so yeah. I'm not trying to be like, oh, whatever, but I'm just be like, oh, my God, like, ugh. Yeah. That urban lifestyle. Yeah. I drive my Jeep everywhere. Yeah. Here's his wife. Here he is with his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Another thing ran about this movie is that they apparently had so many cameras shooting that it was so loud that they had to re-record most of the dialogue, which makes the movie feel even weirder yeah. because it's all re-recorded. You can tell, like you know, um, which a lot of movies do that, but yeah. this one in particular, I think it works 
to, is one of its strengths that it does that. It just sounds really weird. Something wrong? No. No. That phone call last night? I know, uh, you know, it's interesting what we uh, we mentioned who's afraid Virginia Woolf earlier. It's like, yeah, uh, that's a very different portrait of a marriage also, uh, yeah, but that you know, this is a lot of things left unsaid. Yeah, that nothing's left unsaid. I think in everything's that movie. left on the table in that movie. Yeah, yeah. everything put out on the table. I mean, yeah, or yeah, how's that? How Whatever. You know? Yeah, I don't you know. get it. I don't care. Nothing left unsaid. <laughs> yeah. They said a lot of stuff yeah. that you keep in the bedroom, like. <laughs> We get further, further, further away. Yeah, like, okay. calm down. <laughs> he has no time for arts, as again. Don Draper once said. It's me again, Margaret. As uh, Ray Stevens would once said. Right. And it's not like he's exactly the spitting image, but Rock Hudson seems like a good... Yeah. Or they seem like a good pair of, like... Yeah. Uh, kind of, sort of, almost looks like that guy, yeah. but de-aged, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Tennis guy. So yeah, we could tell earlier that it was in New York, but yeah. especially if you're you're going to Princeton, you're going to be an Eastern establishment yeah. boob, basically. Fidelio. <laughs> so obviously, he's convincing him that he's yeah. this person that he you know. Supposed to be dead. Okay, no. All right. All that. All that crap is done. Anyway. I guess he's supposed to be the shorter guy in the picture. Oh, I can't really tell who's supposed yeah. to be who there, but. Well, I got a fish on the wall. Maybe a bowling trophy is about now. I can tell what that is. Or tennis, maybe. <laughs> Goodbye. Dial tone. Is it that cold again? No. Another thing I think is interesting about this these scenes, obviously up until this point in so many movies, they didn't want to show a married couple in the same bed, but this actually works to the point yeah. of, no, they are apart. Right. And it's like, this is a point where they're starting to not do that as much anymore. 
Now, in European films, I mean, they give a crap about something like that, you know. But, like, in American films, that was still something that was kind of... A taboo. Uh, yeah. yeah, but this, it actually, like, has a point to yeah, why that yeah, is. it does it's work, very yeah. interesting. That it's at a time when that was starting to change um, in movies, so... occurred to me yet another name we didn't really bring up was Otto Priminger who yeah. we've seen some of his movies yeah. relatively recently and quite like but. yeah Bunny Lake is Missing is another movie uh, that reminds me of some of these yeah. um, not as good as a lot of these I don't think but it's still yeah yeah almost looks painful to yeah Alec Baldwin <laughs> talked about this scene in that uh, clip or the the longer yeah. version of that clip we had uh about this is the moment when he decides that he is going to be interested in whatever this is because he's almost like what was it he said he's repulsed that someone would be attracted to him or something yeah. which is something I've never thought about or heard in, in anything yeah. but yeah you know. I'm sure you know very, very serious movie we got going mm-hmm. on here <laughs> not a lot to laugh about you said about. too that I know that there's a Frankenheimer commentary track on uh, this uh, Criterion oh really okay. yeah I think yeah. he recorded 97 I think it said go listen to him instead <laughs> it's too late you're already yeah. involved in this book. <laughs> yeah part of the first part <laughs> that's a no good Even he's like, what am I doing? This is boring. I must say, I do love my job as a teach, substitute teacher right now, but sometimes you'll find yourself in the middle of doing things and you're like, why am I doing this right now? Like, you know, The worst feeling in the yeah. world is when you're mid-lecture and you just yeah. all of a sudden have that like, Wait, where am I? What am I doing? Yeah. I'm sure everybody has, and you're like, yeah. and you're in the middle of talking, and you and you fake your way through right. what you're saying. Yeah. But basically, you have that like, you know. Don't worry, they're not yeah. paying attention anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly. Oh, how encouraging! Yeah. yeah. Like, well, they don't care anyway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, some, a lot of them do, but you know, yeah. But they, they're some of them aren't paying attention enough where they would even know what's going on with you. You know. Like I said, I, those moments happen here and there, and I, I just <laughs> fake my way through it yeah. and I get through it. It's always kind of scary. Yeah. What, that or this? the way this well, old man both, looks? Yeah. <laughs> Steam hissing. What a place to run this whole thing out of. Yeah. My name is uh, Wilson. I was told to... I was told to come here. Look, is this the place or isn't it? <laughs> Look, 
matters rolled down. Cool. You can tell they're all like, oh, you're those one of them freaks. Likes mm -hmm. to do that weird Certified stuff. freak. Seven days a week. Now, I don't know if this was the point. I don't remember what point in the movie it is, but I guess now's the time to tell the Brian Wilson story. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Brian Wilson, of course, from the Beach Boys, um, at this time, I guess, was in his uh, period of, uh, I mean, he's always had a lot of, you know, mental health problems, uh, different things. It was, I, I don't remember exactly what it is, if it's schizophrenia or what. It is. Exactly no, that's only, he took drugs too, right? Right, so but, by that. but also yeah. he does have I'm actual... I'm saying that compounds right. it and makes it but worse. But anyway, he went to go see this movie. Uh, and at the time, that was kind of, I guess, Pet Sounds was probably being made around that. Or had already come... I don't remember exactly when all that came out. Their records came out. But it was kind of at a point, a really bad point for him of kind of his paranoia. Yeah. Um, and he came into the movie specifically at a moment, like I said, I don't remember which moment it is, where a character says, come in, Mr. Wilson, or something to that effect. Yeah. And he thought, I think, literally, that Phil Spector, who <laughs> recently, didn't he just die recently? Yeah, and or, recently. Yeah. Who, you know, has had all his <laughs> murderous things going yeah. on. Um, that he... Uh, was one I think of supposedly one of the financers for this movie, right? And that he and that Brian Wilson believed that he had it out for him. He had like worked with him at different times, and that this movie was some like I don't even know what you call it against Brian Wilson or something. Yeah. And it was like kind of, and that it freaked him out so bad he didn't go see another movie until E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Eighty-two, right? Yeah, so it's but like, so that's another. One of the most paranoid people of all time it's goes almost, and sees a paranoid well, I was movie. Say, it's almost it's too like, perfect as this yeah, movie for right. that to happen. Um, like, but I've always thought that's an interesting story. But yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like I said, I don't remember what point in the movie that is that that happens, but maybe that I don't know. Yeah. yeah like. And that he walked. That is so weird that he walked in at that exact moment, though. I mean, it's, like, it's yeah. easy to laugh at, but no, if I mean, you're in a state I know, of I'm not, paranoia, anyway. Because yeah, I'm not even trying like to make happens, fun of the situation. Like, it's fun. It's kind of a funny story, but it's very kind of serious like, yeah. and about somebody's mental health, like you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I wonder, like during ET, if he got turned off by talk of the extraterrestrial. Because oh, was that me? Yeah. Like. <laughs> And I'm not one of those people who believes really that much in the idea of you can't make this stuff up, but that's one of those stories right. to me that I've always been like, that's too perfect to have been created by somebody, like, you know, to not be true. Um, uh, offhand, do you know if, um, uh, was it just purely Dennis Wilson that was the one that was in the orbit of, uh, Charles Manson. I think it was just him. Okay, yeah. yeah. Or I didn't know if any of the other ones. Not though. that I'm aware. I don't know if Mike Love and him hung out or, uh, <laughs> Charles Manson, Mike Love. 
Which you know, I think go anything, go look up uh, Mike Love. Go yeah. look up though, uh, uh, Brian Wilson's take current takes on Mike yeah, Love are the best. <laughs> Obviously, he's being drugged at this moment for a little a little project they have in mind, as mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, going to work towards uh, illicit dealings. But again, all these shots are, yeah. you know, even now, very disorienting. And yeah. especially for a 60s audience would have been, like, the strangest thing most of them yeah. would have ever seen, uh, you know. And it's one of the, still one of the strangest things I've ever seen, I'd say, but. No audio assist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess, like, no, nothing's yeah, right. For, yeah, because we're watching those subtitles, obviously. Yeah. A little bit of, like, kind of. German Expressionism, yeah. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you know, kind of set design there. Doc, cabinet of Dr. Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so weird. It's a 1966 film. That's for sure. I'm gonna go. Like, (laughs) Uh, I'm on my way out. I'm gonna get away. I'm gonna get away. Which should be said. I'm gonna get away for us yeah. personally is similar to off roading right. in the sense like it's more of a state of mind and a vibe. Yeah. And typically those who say they're gonna get away do not. And he does not get yeah. away in this movie pretty Seems similar. like he does temporarily, but maybe not. Well, yeah. But will you always make it though? Yeah. Won't they come for you? Like I wonder where this exactly is. Yeah. It's like some nondescript New York like building I guess yeah old MH yeah Murray (laughs) that close up What I really like too about the depiction of uh, what is it called the company? His name. Yeah, really? they never really say what it is. Is that it's like some of this stuff plays on like the uh, mad scientist trope, yeah. uh, but it, and this is much more you know clean cut, much more uh, corporatized. That like yeah. that all idea of the classic mad scientist of like a Universal monster era movie, like yeah, that's gone by the wayside. But now the mad scientists are in these nondescript office hallways you yeah. know uh, in some ways more frightening in the long term or probably it's this moment who knows I don't yeah. know like, you get it yeah you know. because also I would imagine it's early in the movie I wouldn't think you'd get there that late but I don't know like, <laughs> that's what's even weirder about it is that it would be oh there you are Mr. Wilson come in like he's late Yeah, and it's like oh yeah there you are 
come join us. Like, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was actually just curious how old Brian Wilson is. He's 78. He was born in 42. Let me start by explaining the cost factor involved. To begin with, the procedures are rather complex. I love that they never really formally offered him this. They're like, well, this is what's going on. You know, this is what's going to yeah. happen. And Also, it was thirty thousand. Extensive cosmetic renovation by way of plastic surgery for you. CPS has to provide a fresh corpse that perfectly matches your physical dimensions and medical specifications. CPS. Oh, cadaver procurement section. Look, you sure you don't want this chicken? Absolutely sure. Oh, pity. The next step is. Carefully planned obliteration of identifiable portions of the cadaver before it is found. Features, dental structure, fingerprints. We can't leave anything to chance. No, I, I guess not. Would, would you mind if, uh, please? Well, thank you. Now there is. A I guess he's just paranoid at this point. Oh, that's going to be poisoned or something. Yeah. And well, he's going to eat it. So. Would it be if it was poison? Yeah, and he's and then, like, and then all of a sudden we see the same sequence, <laughs> yeah. but from that guy. Yeah, doing and it's something like, different. why would we need to see that? Yeah. Still can be made based on, as I say, general dimensions plus a credible sequence of event witnesses, etc. Well, the whole thing must be very carefully staged to guarantee a death of this kind. Mm, excuse me. Delicious that they have a wonderful way of baking cheese on it so that it's very crispy. Now, there are... The fire whistle's going yeah. off in our town right now. <laughs> there are like seconds is being watched. Yeah. Like. Your body can be found. The victim of some kind of machinery, uh, an explosion, um, the hunting misadventure. <laughs> a hunting misadventure? Those are my favorite kind of misadventures. Yeah. And I feel like now we're so conditioned and used to a yeah. lot of these evil corporations and movies yeah. or TV, like not getting a backstory into what they're all about. But I think yeah. at this time that was a different yeah. uh, approach where every, there wasn't some big elaborate backstory that was yeah, explained because, to you about why they're doing this or what, you know. Yeah, because that's what's money. interesting to me. Obviously, it is about money, I guess, ultimately, but. That it's like, what's their real reason to be doing that? Because for people who want to do it, I get it. You want to be a different person. But, like, but what's your real goal 
as the corporation other than make and maybe it is they just make money i don't know or that they're possibly subsidized by the government and are using this for manchurian candidate-esque uh operations or like reprogramming people and or changing identities i mean you know it could be that kind of thing but it doesn't really matter what it is ultimately which is the point we're making is that who cares like really but Okay, that's the comment you're gonna make on this. Yeah. Like, of course, the drug made it easier to manipulate you into the proper positions and attitudes. Best thing's in the stores. You did not ravage our girl. His voice kind of changed. He was, was he a film critic, by the way? Just like yeah. earlier, he's talking about the staging. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, the photography is not a professional. Like. Blah, blah, like. So obviously, they're blackmailing him to do it now. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> he just appeared Old like. Man. said you're insane yeah <laughs> i mean that much is clear but yeah. but as you'll as they were explaining you know basically they have to find another body to stage your death with which we'll find out how they come up with those at the end of the movie but um yeah Uh, <laughs> I am not a human being. I'm an animal. <laughs> or as the YouTube poop said, I am not a human penguin. <laughs> yeah, the YouTube poop for the Batman Returns. Yeah. yeah, in case you have no clue what I'm talking about <laughs> or why I'm talking about it, I don't know. How do we get? How did I get here? As <laughs> David Byrne wants it. <laughs> oh man. I mean, once in a lifetime, is it a seconds-esque tale? Yeah. I mean, there's water at the bottom of this the ocean. This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful <laughs> yeah. wife, so. See? Oh, he's waiting for him to answer. I mean, what, what are you referring to, okay. sir? Sir? Expect to be president of the bank before too long. And I have my vote in the summer. We have friends. Anything at all. 
Extremely one of the most evil moments in this movie, maybe, is just like, oh, oh, is that your life? Like, anything, though? Like, yeah. I mean, even though he's on to something, I guess, like, but, you know. Get along. So he's, the guy smiles. Oh, so you are utterly worthless, right? Yeah. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I was getting kind of bored. Yeah. Can we move on? What is it again? This one, this has all been done in one take, by the way. Yeah. He just starts naming objects he owns, like boat, car, <laughs> Scrappy Doo bobblehead. <laughs> Which Scrappy Doo was not in existence this yeah, time, uh, but I'm just saying, you know. Maybe like Mighty Mouse. Yeah. Know. By the way, do you ever look at the Andy Kaufman Mighty Mouse yeah. hat, whatever that even is, and you're just like, what even is yeah. this supposed to be? Well, well you can say it with a lot of things he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say with like, mostly respect. Yeah, but, but I'm yeah. just like, what? Like, the best thing he ever did was read all the Great Gatsby <laughs> out loud, and people went, oh, that's, the, that's commitment, you know? Like, and you know, as that's depicted, you know, Man on the Moon. Yeah. There's like, like a couple people, people still there. Yeah, some of them are sleeping. And, yeah, like, and he like bows at yeah. the end. Like, yeah. Anyway. How long that would take? Probably like a couple hours. Oh, yeah. Because that's not that long of a book. Right, yeah. it's not, I know it ain't super long, but still. like Yeah. Now it's uh, three bar in the witcher. Now, uh, <laughs> sign the contract, big boy. Sign the contract, as Mike Tyson wants to. Mike Tyson. That hat. It's an interesting, uh, what would they call that? Movie thing. Ding. You know them things they do in movies sometimes? Mm-hmm. That's one of them. I'm 
getting all cut up now. No, puffed up. You need to go. What he was, but what will he become? <laughs> Should be said, what, uh, how long in the movie are we at this point, time wise, um, exactly? We are about 40 minutes. Yeah, so, you know, this. We only really have about an hour left. Yeah, so. this first time coming up that we'll actually see rock cuts and really. Big reveal. Well, I know. Holy mackerel, I don't know how you boys do it. Doc, it's a masterpiece. Good work. This is so quiet, like it'll pick, yeah. pick up any little thing. Several 
no audible dialogue <laughs> yeah, this whole movie I guess like. <laughs> it is funny it's like first of all how much work they would have had to do to the body that you would need that but you know that like he's still a old man in a young man's body you like gotta you know just devil guy you said yeah this yeah guy he was that, was that in, guy that was like Canada. brainwashing the yeah, yeah. korean war prisoners yeah But, oh, can't do that, yeah. so... I'd like to paint stuff. I love when my sublimations have free vent. You know? yeah. <laughs> sublimations. When you pass gas, basically. Yeah. <laughs> my sublimations have free vent, yeah. you know? I love they're also forcing him into what he's yeah. going to do, too. It's like, you know. from Harvard on the highway. Very simple. You are already established in a position of some dignity. Oh, nothing conspicuous, just a solid, mildly successful sort of thing. You will be supplied with fresh paintings periodically. In time, you perfect your own style. Surreal, primitive, impressionistic, whatever. It will be a transition from this present work. You see, you don't have to prove anything anymore you are accepted you will be in your own new dimension you're a bachelor birth certificate the only son of deceased parents and so forth in short you are alone in the world 
absolved of all responsibility except to your own interest. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? Your studio <laughs> is in Malibu, California. Quite luxurious, very private. You'll make your own adjustment in your own way, in your own time. So what's so great about Rock Hudson's performance in this is so much yeah. of its interior and he's not really like yeah. tells a mixture of disappointment and fear that yeah. he's dealing with. Almost every middle aged man in America would like to have. Freedom. Real freedom. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Mr. Wilson. What, was that like a continuity yeah. error where they didn't have the pillow there? Yeah. I was going to say something about that. But I, I wonder if that moment when uh, Brian Wilson was watching the movie, if like a usher came by and like gave him a pillow. Yeah. like you know, <laughs> How often did that happen throughout yeah. that viewing experience? You know? <laughs> Been off with him. Yeah. Well, if he didn't say not one word the whole time. Yeah. Of course, like Sam Wesley Addies and all kinds of stuff, but yeah, I normally think of him in like this and Network. Yeah. Between this network, he's great at playing like corporate. Corporate Stooge, Stooge yeah. Nice. Or our next film we'll see the uh, uh, Bond Company Stooge, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, in case you can't figure that out. Like, <laughs> don't worry, you will in about another, oh, I don't know, an hour. Like, Do you like it? It's like, I guess I got to. Alright. Uh, do I have to? Or are you like making me do it? Like, <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> or as Catherine O'Hara once said, yes! <laughs> In Home Alone. I am tired. And I am dirty. I'm tired. And I'm dirty. Where the hell am I? Scranton. Malibu. Like, did you know that... Is he uh, now Malibu's most wanted? <laughs> did you know that there are things that happen in Scranton, PA, other than the office? Since when? <laughs> um, how long will you be here, um, John, sir? For as long as you need me. The company is fully aware that you may have problems at first, and will spare no effort to help you solve them. Thank you. Yes, sir. 
I love that nondescript Malibu location. Yeah. <laughs> they all slay, you know. The... Nondescript 60s attire. We said John, uh, John Hudson, John Houston, Rock Hudson, excuse me, uh, was a very big man. I think he's, yeah, so I heard earlier he was like what, six four, yeah, and uh, you know, look, he's just a, a physically large man. his studio in quotes these are all direct quotes yeah. I love that this was just all fabricated so it's like do they yeah. just have like a in-house artist you know just like yeah. actually did all these things Like this scene's kind of funny. Him like trying to paint. Yeah. It's funny because that's painting. Sometimes a thing. I sometimes think, oh, I might would like to maybe try that out. I mean, frankly, the way some paintings look it seems like they hardly put any work into it anyway so like you know mm -hmm. nothing against you know art and painting but like i don't know a lot of it just looks like nonsense to me so you know i'm not oh, even saying all... i totally disagree yeah. but uh, you could take the one that looks the sloppiest and the most nothing and i'm yeah. sure there'd be people spent hours on it oh no know, i know like... and i know they spend a lot of time on it but you know like oh that's actually looking okay it actually looks all right, yeah. you know, like, I think what he's doing. Looks like a human form, anyway. Well, if he always has the, like... You know, looking like, oh, I'm doing something for the house, but he's like watching it, yeah. you know? <laughs> That's really why he's there. Yeah. Think about how weird that would be if you're a person, then you're another person. You have an like, idea your whole you know, life of what you look like, yeah. and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, changed. Oh, yeah. Well, wherever you go, there you are. There's another Confucius saying, uh, you know, man with itchy butt, wake up with smelly fingers. <laughs> Which a person um, who will remain nameless once said at a job I worked. Um, and I like that person, so I'm not saying like, oh, nameless in a bad way. But, but like, yeah, that was, uh, it should be said, not actually Confucius. No, Confucius. but. <laughs> I just want to just make sure the record's right, straight yeah. on that. <laughs> 
I don't know where they heard that, but you know, they the, knew was it was the initial fake, and the right? first name M on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I think <laughs> yeah. it was. Yeah. I was make sure. Good old Target. Yeah. Yeah, we we both worked at Target for a little while. All right, enough company to work for, I guess. But you know, yeah, it's not something, not a job I want to do my whole life personally. But uh, but no, yeah, that was a it was an all right little job. Pay pretty good money. Anyway, <laughs> about Target. <laughs> Targets. Yeah. Oh, mm, Peter Bogdanovich. Mm, mm, mm. That's a really good movie. I watched that for the first time. Last summer, about a year ago. Well, uh, it should be said that our part of our opening theme is yeah. taken from that movie. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Try to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, you know, this movie's suddenly got a lot of nice huts and fits in it. Yeah, this is one. This. Something about Salome Jens to me always looks like she's on the verge of saying, You filthy rats! <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Which came out in this year, didn't it? Or something like uh, that? In or, Italy, anyways, yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> you filthy rats! <laughs> it should be said, the situation in that movie that is in reference to is not funny at all, but the way the actress says it is funny. With the end of 66 came yeah. out in Italy, yeah. Italia. Then at the end of the year, six, practically early 68, in the U.S. Had <laughs> the look of confusion yeah. on it. He's like, whatever. <laughs> he really does look like an old man. To say. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably how I walk around half the time. I don't even know it. Just like... The perpetually annoyed look. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now living in the age of COVID, the mask kind of hides yeah. some of that. I like that. Like. That was my life. Two boys, ages 10, 12. Successful and indulgent husband. A beautiful house, complete with microwave oven, intercom. What I like about her, other than just purely being a love interest, that she herself is someone, you know, is kind of yeah. looking to escape, you know. Absolutely. Escapism isn't purely a male fantasy, even though yeah. it primarily is depicted as one. Kind of reminiscent of the female lead in uh, uh, Rain People, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting, she didn't have this whole thing happen to her as far as changing right. her set, but that she left her own life. Yeah. 
You spent your whole life with me. Huh. Oh, that Nancy Reagan crap. <laughs> this would have been, I, I don't even know if it was known that she did that kind of stuff at this point, but, you know. I guess Nixon was still, uh, or no, he was, I guess, had been vice president. Did he become governor again after he tried to run for president and was he vice president? He tried to run unsuccessfully in a... 62 and didn't win okay. and thought about running for the 64 nomination and didn't decide to wait in the weeds and yeah uh, probably the next book i'm going to read is uh the second volume of rick perlstein's so far excellent series on american conservatism uh the first book before the storm which is about barry goldwater's uh 64 political campaign for president yeah and then his next book, I'm like I said, it's probably my next book. I'm going to read Nixon Land, which is kind of the most famous of the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then before the or not before the storm, uh, the Visible Bridge was number three, yeah. and then recently last year Reagan Land came out. And it's actually interesting talking about books. I'm actually currently reading uh, Norman Mailer's second novel, uh, Barbary Shore, which I'm quite liking. And there's actually some flashes of that. Uh, they're reminiscent of this yeah. uh, in terms of that's kind of about this uh, it's different in a lot of ways too yeah. it's like a World War II veteran who's an amnesiac amnesiac uh, living in a kind of boarding house apartment building basically and all these people he's interacting with anyways it's just got a very like he's got this very kind of mysterious past that he's kind of makes up the own details too yeah. kind of re- some of us reminiscent of this puts me in the mind though Drunken sailors playing. Uh, <laughs> I would say so. Which many of us know is uh, music used often in SpongeBob SquarePants. But yeah, let's say this is not uh, appropriate for children. <laughs> uh, movie uh, in general, but especially uh, this sequence. And one of the articles that said the real thing that this was shot at is like a Bacchus uh, festival or something. Yeah, I want to find that name of that specifically. Feast of Bacchus Festival, yeah, held in Santa Barbara, California. I remember when I first watched this, I was like, this was a very big, big diversion from what we've seen so far. Yeah. Literally, visually, but also, you know, just. We've been stuffy boardrooms yeah. or stuffy uh, office buildings or just domestic settings, and all of a sudden is this, you know, it's very different. <laughs> that Zoom. Man laughing. All right. Let me tell you something. Uh, 
those articles that uh, Frankenheimer had like swim trunks on and those got like taken off taken jerked yeah. off basically like by very quickly yeah because like, yeah, he got in there with them and yeah. filmed it yeah I can't I help I, but think of the yeah. you know, great uh, video. I'll just say this. Hopefully this won't alienate any of our listeners, but what an annoying group of people to be around this would be. Yeah. You know? I don't really yeah. feel that bad about saying it. but I was generally confused. Yeah. Even the dog's like, what the hell? Hmm, Yeah. People singing Drunken Sailor. Yeah, and I bet this movie would have been was probably beloved in like Europe if it was yeah. seen. But especially even people who wouldn't have liked it, they're like, "Oh, I like it now!" Like, well, yeah. got nudity in it, like you know, yeah. just like. Before there was Midsummer, yeah, there was. I'm gonna, that's only mention we're gonna have of that yeah. again in this podcast uh, again. So so far, it's been brought up twice yeah. in the overall run of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'm just uh, uh, another another point of alienation coming up. You ready? Like, uh, if you think that movie's better than this, like, I don't want to know you or, or see you. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, no. Which most people probably haven't seen this, so. Yeah, no. so it's not even. So, whatever. Yeah. So, I can say it and shrug and say it is, and if you watch it, maybe you'll know. I don't know, but. but it doesn't have anything to do with it. Like, yeah, I know. That's probably why it's good, but. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. I don't read any Allen Ginsberg. I don't know what you're <laughs> <laughs> Do what? 
A bit like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> everything, everything's just, on. Just uh, chilling, like. Uh, not, <laughs> To quote Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski, nothing is effed. <laughs> One of two times in the future he'll be roughed up and thrown into something or thrown in a certain way. Yeah. Hard to believe this is the preferable option. Yeah. <laughs> Stomp those grapes. You know, I heard about that. Coughing. Chanting continues. <laughs> Again, this sequence reminds me a lot of... Remember that sequence in um, Straw Dogs where it's like at a birthday party? Yeah, or like... Yeah. And she's like a reception or something. Uh, remembering herself being raped. Yeah. And, uh, I remember seeing that. That's another really shocking movie. That, I don't know that we'll ever do that movie on here. Uh, maybe some other Peck and Paws. Yeah, no, maybe, we will but, probably. But uh, And I really do... Pretty much really liked it. Maybe love that movie. But yeah, that's not a movie I'm interested in doing a commentary of. But... And he finally kind of unwinds and says, okay, I'll yeah. be a part of whatever this is. What a disgusting display. Nineteen sixty six, people. <laughs> the sixties. Well, they look pretty clean to be coming out of that. Yeah. Come out of that. Because that's not who they really are. They're only pretending to be. <laughs> They've been through so much together. <laughs> what for like 20 minutes like yeah that's how the movie's treating them, yeah well I guess you go through that experience I guess you know that automatically <laughs> sparks what seems like a lifelong connection whether you would like it or not yeah now we read you know a couple times that different things he they actually got rock cuts and drunk for this scene um which is always a risky proposition yeah. uh there's some instances. but uh it works out in the scene i guess yeah. so <laughs> he almost looks like uh the uh quote another Mad Men phrase from roger sterling like uh the groom on the wedding cake uh, yeah. popping off and like getting smashed running right yeah. like at this point, <laughs> that look like, he gave that guy like, yeah yeah but yeah just somebody that looks you know that uh traditionally handsome or attractive just really drunk you yeah. can tell and just doing his thing running right again you filthy rat <laughs> i'm thinking that the, every time i see her now I'm really, it's the way she talks i think reminds me of that Huh? The Cosba. The Cosba. Not the <laughs> We've mentioned that song on this podcast, I think, at least three or four times now. <laughs> I don't know why, but they're just certain recurring themes. Like Jonathan Dett. 
That's what we're going to start calling him. Yeah, Jonathan Dett. Johnny. Not Johnny Dett. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Dett. I really am. I want you to know that. How'd you know seconds remake with Jonathan Dett? No. I don't want to imagine it. Well, too. maybe you should. <laughs> Excuse me. Gosh, stomach still. It's not like you. Drunkenly. I've always wondered about like if you get drunk enough and you're also acting like okay what's the line between remembering your lines and then also genuinely like well I don't want to do this anymore like wanting to walk away from even doing the scene like (laughs) yeah I don't know I was wondering about that Johnny. I love you. You're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> like watching his face literally in this shot was a roller coaster of like, oh, yeah. I'm don't like this, or I'm scared, I'm yeah. depressed, and oh no, I'm happy. Yeah, specifically, like we said, the recording of the re-recording of the dialogue, and this just makes it even weirder. Yeah. Like. like Miss P- the sister of like Miss Piggy and um oh, what's her name uh what's her name that was M oh uh good lord what's her name yeah, Ju- Judy Dench Judy Dench yeah whatever Dame Judy Dench yeah How much has he drank? Like, well, you see, it all began with a big red ball. And, uh, no, uh, you see, 
primeval state. Without a sociological Oh, oh look! <laughs> you filthy rat! <laughs> I mean, I understand. He messed up your dress. Was like, you can buy a new one. I mean, it ain't yeah. that big of a deal. I mean, like you know, she's acting like she's been murdered. Like, I mean. Everybody's like, mm, yeah. It's so not funny, but yeah. him thinking it's as funny as it is makes it funny. God, how much his breath would stink. Though. Yeah. I don't know why that shot need to be there. <laughs> I've been a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs>
Why is this part of a paranoia trilogy? I wonder. Yeah. Like <laughs> this shot, hey specifically. Breathing accelerates. This amount of subjective camera was especially yeah. uh, different for a lot of Hollywood movies this time, where you'd be, you know, presumably the eyes of the character. <laughs> the soundtrack. <laughs> Obviously, very European at this time. Yeah. But later on, Jonathan Demi did a lot of that and was usually mm -hmm. associated with that. Later on, with something wild and especially Sounds of Land. Another movie that this is all of a sudden put me in the mind of, uh, in terms of everyone being in on this truth that the character himself might not totally be, is uh, the swimmer. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Which we saw yeah. relatively recently for the first time and quite like. Yeah. Another icon there, Robert Lancaster again. Yeah. That's, I think, you know, one of the great paranoid fears of any, anybody is that everyone is around them is in on. Some secret or something yeah. they don't know, you know, that's just a kind of a classic paranoid fear. Of course, he's returning to his own home. Mm -hmm. They didn't want him to go, but he did. Yeah, he's definitely went off road already. Yeah, oh, this severely. is an off road. Uh, yeah. And in some ways, also, I'm going to get away. Yeah. Uh, but again, <laughs> Typically, with I don't, I'm gonna get away. They are not successful. Well, ultimately, it won't be. Yeah. But for, he's free, yeah. free for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> to quote the master, of course. The 
But he's thinking, like, that's still an, looks like crap. That's <laughs> another bubble is going to pop pop for him in this scene. Is all like, oh, I, life moved on without me. I guess yeah. that she, you know, got over it and moved on. Which he certainly didn't think was going to be a problem for himself to move on, but as it turns out, of course, it is. Yep. It me when you see yourself. When you retweet yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it's the five year anniversary the of most a Facebook post. Seconds moment of all yeah. times. Like a holding a picture of yourself but you're not yourself. Like. And a reflection of yourself. Yeah. But that isn't you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But now is you. Maybe. Like one time. I wonder what the story was of why he was in a hotel room to begin with. Must have been on a business trip maybe yeah. or something. Or if it, uh, in my or if they were like, oh, he was with a prostitute or something. Like, I just wonder what the setup of that was. Like, you know, yeah, it probably would have just been like, a, oh, he went on a business trip. But I don't know. I got to know. I got to know. Joking, Mrs. Hampton. Well, of course 
<laughs> Probably the saddest thing yeah. you could ever say about anybody. <laughs> like, Describe a marriage as a truce is such a sad thing. And that she literally just said he'd been dead a long, long yeah. time before then. Like, wow. Well. Yeah. I can't tell you much more than that. So, uh, nope, ain't happening there. <laughs> Wonder if he can, like, the character uh, considered actually revealing himself, or if he's just, you know. Yeah. I think so, 
Benefit in quotes. Yeah, That's yeah. another shocking thing is it's been yeah. a year. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries here. We're not going to do anything wrong. <laughs> Satisfaction guaranteed. Like, if you're not satisfied, uh,. Won't be, won't be getting your money back, so... Oops, too bad. <laughs> There's just the vibe check in the stations, I think. Yeah. Just reminds me of Beetlejuice, like everybody's sitting around waiting to be seen by their <laughs> caseworker. Number fifty four million six hundred and one, Vern Doc. Vern Doc. That's the guy that yeah, choked yeah. on a chicken. Yeah. Eating a chicken. That's not a euphemism by the no, way. No, no. He literally choked on a chicken and died, so well, it could have been like a two for one action. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just we're gonna that. we're gonna table that right yeah. now. We'll maybe return to that question. <laughs> when, uh, if we, it, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we do build juice, yeah. which we already have plans to do. So, Vern Doc, yeah, Fidelio. Yeah, 
you thought maybe you were here. Even the first time. But you saw it. Something tremendous, this rebirth, everything, even when you were dead, gone. Don't you have that chance? Oh, good God, how long does a man have to wait to get into surgery? Obsession with things, as Jimmy Carter <laughs> yeah. always talk about. Obsession with things. Get these filthy things yeah. out of your life. <laughs> Jimmy Carter ever screened this at the White House, I wonder. When he was elected later on. Ten years later. Jimmy Carter's still alive as yeah. we speak. What was he exactly? I don't know. In his 90s, I mean. Yeah. It's 90, he'll be 97 in October. Wow. Well, that has to be the oldest living president who's ever lived. Yeah. I imagine George W. George H. W. He was... And that'll probably be something that they get older and older. Yeah. But yep, he's finally getting to go. Yeah, because H. W. was 94 when he had passed away. Real, this has a real like uh, you know prestige where it's like oh uh, or, you know drowning it's like yeah. going home you know it, it says and then towards the end of the movie it's like it's agony it's yeah. agony because he's <laughs> someone who want, who wants almost drowned before uh, when I first saw that movie I was like what and then they're like no yeah and I was like yeah like see like you know it's like no no fun you don't seem to understand I don't recommend it don't recommend almost drowning. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I have told you over and over again, I cannot think of anyone. I can't believe that. Mr. Ruby, I've been shuffled around long enough. I think it's about time I had the opportunity to start living some kind of meaningful existence. If I did sponsor someone, wouldn't that delay my trip to surgery in the event that I were needed from time to time? No. You say, advise him? No, that's not likely. Not if the selection is a good one. We'll see how that turns out. This is Ruby. 
The next stage. So I wonder if like what happened to what happens to him is truly what happened to Murray Hamilton. I wonder about uh, that if it too. Actually, was because I got to get a new. I've wondered if you know. I think that's one of the unanswered questions yeah. of the movie is whether or not they actually do give you. A sec, another second chance if you help them out, or if they just do what they're going to do to him right. here to everybody. I don't know. Part of me would like to think that they did give him do what they said they were going to do for him, but I don't and, think I would trust them. So you know, well, I mean, they seem particularly frustrated about the demands he was just making. So it makes me wonder if right. it, it is something different. But I, I don't know. You know, doesn't really matter. In the end, because you know, right here's our main character. So, yeah. Antiochus Wilson, Tony Johnny Wilson, <laughs> Wilson. Antiochus. I mean, I'm sorry, Wilson. When were you a young man? Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Like, how, in the how 18th long, century? Yeah, like, how long has this been going on is like, what I want right to know. before the British fired the first shots. Yeah. We, we used paper bags then, like, <laughs> for new faces, like, you know. Human history. And I was too. Except we do have a high percentage of failures. Well, that's because we're not human. Well, it's like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. Must be all their fault, like... I know uh, neither of us have seen the uh, Manchurian Candidate remake. Uh, no. Jonathan Demme directed, no, which uh, we're fans of Demme. Uh, I'd be curious to know what a remake of the, a modern remake of this would look like. I mean, I feel like yeah. so many things have aped this and other yeah. types of things like this that it's kind of sort of been remade a bunch of times yeah. in different ways, but it would be interesting if somebody would approach that again. But I think approaching it from a woman's point of view would yeah. be... Uh, interesting especially you know uh, there's a lot more agency with film yeah. uh, female filmmakers now but and actresses yeah time to go have the procedure like. time keeps on slipping, slipping. yeah Get on the gurney, please. <laughs> oh, we're lucky. going to. Uh, can you help us obliterate your entire existence, please? <laughs> <laughs> None of you, nothing of you will exist. Like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We will, we will. We will be here, Smuck. <laughs> Personally, 
Dr. Morris, sir. According to our record, uh, you were reared in the Protestant faith. Did you convert to any other during your adjustment? No. Good, good. That is good in the sense that we have a certain definition. Now, I am not suggesting that being a Protestant is any better than being a Catholic or Jew. As a matter of fact, I am qualified to care for you in either of those faiths as well. I was ordained in each, rabbi, priest, and minister. I admit it's unusual, uh, maybe a bit advanced. Wait a minute. What's happening? Well, my good sir, uh, when we have finished, you will go on to the next stage. I don't mean that. Ultimately, Mr. Wilson, ultimately... We'll oh, wait, we're talking about a stage other than... Uh, we're yes, talking I about another stage of existence at this point, like... You know, like the ultimate second stage. Second stage. The final stage. And blessed shalt thou be in going out. And he said, Thou canst not see my face. No man can see me and live. Requiem et lucet obtivia perpetuum. Make with me illustratia tua corona eterna perpetuum. This is just unbelievable that somebody could act like this. Yeah. Like, I'm sure this was also very strange and traumatic for a lot of people to see rock cuts yeah. in, in a scene like this. Yeah. Well, of that shot, it's just, he's not moving. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever. He gave up, I guess, at that point. <laughs> That's the end of that, I guess. So obviously the twist of the movie is that these people that don't play along are the cadavers that they have to find for the new people. So, yeah. Yeah. so like I said, I do wonder if Murray Hamilton even got to go on to another stage or not. Like, or if he got the final stage, you know. So, oh, he's disappointed that, you yeah. know. Why couldn't you help me out with my work? You used to be beautiful. So is this a real, like, Syriana, like, I want you to drug him, put him in the front of a car, yeah. run him into a truck at 50 miles an hour. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, is that how this ended up? Like, Relax, old friend. 
Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Cranial drill. What's that about? <laughs> I wonder what that one does. What does the cranial drill do exactly? I've always remembered this final image of the movie to be one of the most sullen. Reminds me of a lot of dental visits I've had where I'm staring oh, yeah. up at the light and, and while drills yeah. are going in. Whirring fade, it says. Well, there's a funny movie right there, like. <laughs> But that Im that final image has always struck with me. It's one of the first things I think about whenever I think about this movie. Yeah. Um, Texan. That guy who was like, "You old devil," was a Texan, I guess. Like, you old plump, rascal, plump blonde. Mayberry. <laughs> Doctor in the operating room. Oh, he was the final guy who appeared. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Credit anyways. William Richard Wintersole. So yeah, not a upbeat ending. Uh, <laughs> this being your second time, any new thoughts? I mean, um, just um, I think you know, it's kind of fitting that earlier the wife had described him as memorable for his silences, is what yeah. he's more remembered for. And I think the sound design of this movie is really, in particular, fantastic. Uh, yeah. And uh, of course, Jerry Goldsmith's score is really good, but it's also sparse. It's not there yeah. all the time. And so there's a lot of silences in the movie. Um, and even knowing where it goes, you know, that just adds this inherent dramatic tension into every scene of like, yeah. um, that this is, you know, it's going to be reserved. It's not going to manipulate you into thinking this is exactly what the scene is about and what's going on in yeah. it. That the silences really play out in a very terrific way. Uh, that seems, of course, very, very con uh, conventional. Uh, 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 representative of yeah, John Frankenheimer's right. style, you know, and what he's trying to, uh, um, you know, convey. Mm -hmm. I was actually just curious now, off the top of my head, what his next movie after this was. Well, we said Grand Prix was the same year. Yeah. I actually said that this, you might have said this earlier, I can't remember, that it was nominated for the Palme d'Or. Uh, yeah, and it was booed. It can. Yeah. Uh, it was disliked. His next movie in 68 was The Fixer. Yeah, I was looking into that the other night, and I was like, oh, I really want to see that, whatever that is, like about Russia or something. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know, Fixer was by the 1913 trial of Menahem Mendel Belis, I'm not sure, a yeah. Russian Jew who was falsely accused of... So yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think I slightly still prefer... Um, Seven Days in May to this in terms, of, but I think this is the better film. And, yeah. uh, I think this is know, his best, maybe his best yeah. film overall. I, I think, think as well. personally, it's his best and my favorite of his films. Although I love a lot of his movies, and um, and I think a lot of other his movies, especially those three of the Manchurian Candidate and uh, Seven Days in May, are shocking in their own ways. Um, but this is just you know on another level of. Uh, you know, which shouldn't make it the best or my favorite necessarily, but it's just the amalgamation of elements, sure. I think. That, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. I, don't yeah, know I think it's kind of cool to say that it might be a while, but this probably will not be the last Frankenheimer movie that we do. No, I can see a few no, more that I we think, actually return yeah. to. Um, and there's a lot more I want to see that I haven't seen, and I feel like I've seen a good little amount. Um, 
but uh, yeah, he's uh, one of those people. Like, I mean, Lou May, we didn't talk about as much as I would have liked to in this podcast, but made a lot of movies, you know, during the same time. And uh, he's another one that kind of preceded New Hollywood right. era, but then also made some films in yeah. of the New Hollywood era. And his later films on. were more New Hollywood in the era of New Hollywood, I think, than. Frankenheimer's sure. most likely were because he kind of, well, he made that like French Connection too, and like he kind of Frankenheimer did right. Yeah. He kind of did a lot of random stuff in well, the, the 70s. thing with Lumet was I know he he also I think he did some TV in the early to mid fifties, but he also came from this whole theatrical background, the theater background, and his movies are much more um, actor centric. Yeah. Um, and it's all a lot about the performances in them and giving the actors the space to do that. Uh, there are some great performances in Frankenheimer. Yeah. There's yeah. no question. But he's much more interested right. in the image and the yeah, camera yeah. in a way that Lumet isn't quite right. exactly. But that, that's what makes both of them yeah. great in their own ways. But um, but yeah, Lumet's another figure of this time period that's making uh, a lot of big swings um, and. A lot of interesting stuff uh, as well as some of these. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to at least a few of his movies at some point. I'm not really sure what they would be off the top of my head because he's made a lot of good ones. But, um, and I'd say overall, he Lumet's the better filmmaker actually because he's made a handful of five star movies, and I don't think that Frankenheimer I've yet to see any of his films that are that level personally. But this is pretty close, I think. Yeah. But um, again, the thing with I think about a lot with Lumet is I think of. Henry Fonda in 12 yeah. Angry Man. I think of Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. You know, I think of the... Paul Newman in The Verdict. Paul Newman. In, you know what yeah. I mean? So, like, his movies have a very actor-focused right. uh, style to them, which is which is great. Yeah. yeah and Frankenheimer's great in his own way. But, um, yeah, that's seconds. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, uh, I think, you know, one last little thing I'll say about seconds before we kind of end this. Uh, I think one really great thing in general about the Criterion Collection is that it in general they you know they go after huge big art film classics yeah. but at yeah. the same time they go after some kind of arty genre fare as well that yeah. kind of gets lost through the cracks i think a movie like this is kind of a in a good way the stereotypical criterion movie that's like yeah. it really was pretty great and accomplished but it was kind of forgotten about the time but yeah. now it's yeah because it kind of had that for a long time it kind of had that uh stigma i'm sure alec baldwin would have agreed that stigma as a movie that, you know, was kind of... not It wasn't a lost film, necessarily, but it's like people, it kind of got forgotten. Carnival of Souls was a similar situation, yeah. but even that was independent, and it was not made no, this is a on a level. But this is a Paramount yeah. film. So yeah, there's with certain Rock movies, Cuts right. and with John Frank So there's Hammer. certain movies that that happens with, but this one, you know, that it makes sense, like something like Carnival of Souls that saw second life mostly in the 80s. Yeah. But this really has seen its second life since the Criterion release. Yeah. Um, and most of the articles we were finding were people in 2014, or around that time. Yeah. I think that's when that came out. That came 13 out. Thirteen or fourteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Who were talking about? Oh, remember seconds? Or oh, if you've never heard of that, here's this. And there, it seemed like there were a lot of people that came out of the woodwork that were like, oh, this movie, you know. And um, and, and it being attached to Frankenheimer's filmography means it's always going to be uh, have an yeah, audience right. to be found in some way. And I think that it definitely, like I said, definitely has an audience now. Thankfully, um, it's just you know but, of those three paranoia movies, it's the, in some ways the on the surface least remarked upon. Right. But I think again has this power that it's not as focused on these larger institutional ideas. It's more a personal, a little more personal, a little smaller. Right. Which, um, like I said, in the and I, I think it has a 
plethora of political statements is making, oh, yeah. but it's not an expressly political yeah. film. But it's more it's more of a countercultural statement than anything, yeah. which is interesting that it was made at the time that it that was going on, and not even ten years later that it already had recognized. And this is something this in obviously that. isn't the way I first saw it, but this almost seemed like the perfect movie that you'd be like channel surfing if you're up at yeah. one a.m. Mm-hmm. and you catch the very begin towards the beginning of it, and you're like, huh, what is it would this? Be like and a then good like TCM underground movie and or you, something. Yeah, and especially if you're if it's late and you're awake, but you're in a little bit of a different state yeah. of mind, and you see this, that would imagine be the almost the perfect way to see it. Is like I think it, kind it, of it like state. in the yeah, and, it, and the silences in the movie, I think would could kind of lull you into being real sleepy, and then the ending would like wake, like grab you and shake you through the screen. Like you yeah. know, it's it yeah, it really is a genius. Like I said, uh, I think uh, conception. Of you the know, movie, but. Uh, and that way, I think of a racer. I've not, I didn't see yeah. a racer head that mm-hmm. way, but I think that would yeah. make for. Uh, interesting experience to watch yeah. it that way so again John Frankenheimer seconds we both love it and yeah. we uh, hope you enjoyed our talking about it today and if nothing else uh, hopefully you seeking it out and you'll be it aware of the first of it. time yeah, yeah. Uh, so our very next film and this uh, this will be episode 9 we got coming yeah. up um, and I know that we we've had a long list of, of a lot of movies that we're going to be getting to we kind of have been grouping them in terms of the next 10 that we're going to do yeah. we already have like our 11 through 20 already mapped yeah. out um and I know that just implicitly, every time I kind of look at the list, uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, this movie I really like, or I love it. Yeah. But every time I, I am reminded that the next movie's coming up, I kind of implicitly have a smile on my face. Because yeah. I think so far, for me personally anyways, this is probably my favorite movie we've touched yet. Uh, from 2004 and from, from director Wes Anderson, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, um, which uh, you know, we're both pretty big fans yeah. of Wes Anderson. Um, we've maybe been, you know, just as fans, slightly disappointed with maybe some of his more recent films. Yeah. Um, but I know for both of us, this was one of the first movies of his we saw. Yeah. And it had a big impact on him. Um, Levi, going into next week, what's some things you maybe want to preview or what about Life Aquatic as a movie that appealed to us to maybe do a Well, I think one part of it is that it seems like, and maybe this has changed a little bit over the last few years because I haven't been paying attention to the Wes Anderson discourse the last few years mainly since Isle of Dogs, which I did not like at all. But, I didn't really like it. Um, which is the only film of his I outright dislike and do not like. Yeah. Everything else of his, I think, is at least really good. I'm not as crazy about the Grand Budapest Hotel either, but that is still pretty good. But I feel like The Life Aquatic is one of his more maligned or kind of shrug-worthy films for a lot of people. Um, and I think it's safe to... Well, actually, for him, and I think this is true for you too, it's kind of hard for us to pick of what our favorite of his films are sometimes because I sometimes want to pick Fantastic Mr. Fox because I'll say personally that was the first of his films I saw. We went and saw that in a theater the weekend of Thanksgiving of 2009, I remember, and that movie was a life-changing experience for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And to see that in a theater was uh, magical. Um, And that, so, but the next, so it's, it's hard for me, it's always between that and Life Aquatic, but I think what is so... 